You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 86 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. Got a feeling of deja vu, Matt. <laughs> oh, I've done this before somewhere. Indeed. So, welcome. We are here again for another episode, episode 86. It is the 14th of November, and uh, the time is uh, 10.40 in the morning, so we're only 40 minutes late this morning. (laughs) We've had had a rather troublesome morning, to say the least. Um, But uh, on the plus side, we do have a guest with us today. We certainly do. To to bring the the air up to a nice sort of standard. So... uh, he is uh, a pilot for a legacy, a well-established legacy airline in the UK. We're going to call that airline Royal Air. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> he flies uh, lots of Airbus aircraft, including the Airbus A321 and Airbus A320. So welcome into the chat room. Hopefully you're still there, Captain Al. I'm still here. Hello, Yay! <laughs> I feel like I should write you a birthday card now. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Oh. Well, I've just started writing my Christmas cards because I wasn't sure that I'd have time to actually hand deliver them. No, oh, indeed. <laughs> you have now, it seems. Uh, yes. Oh, dear, oh, dear. So, uh, we need to, we need to keep We do we need, need to crack on, yes. Uh, needless <laughs> to say, there are lots of people in the chat room. Thank yes, goodness. Yes, they're absolutely. all still here. Um, and they've all been very patient. And they've all been very patient. <laughs> uh, but we are going to start this show then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So, if you're ready. Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> Captain Al, are you still there? I'm still here. I'm oh, still great. Here. I'll Let's let go. You know when I've gone. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's go. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story, God, deja vu, (laughs) is on the Echo News website and the headline, Winter Sun on the Horizon, as 175 passengers take their first EasyJet flight from Southend to Lanzarote. So the story goes then uh, that uh, as the nights draw in and winter's on the way, uh, holidaymakers will soon be able to take off uh, to 27 degree heat and sunshine from Southend Airport. Uh, this is with EasyJet, and uh, they've launched a new route to Lanzarote in the Canary Islands. The destination is their 17th route from London uh, Southend, which was recently named Best Airport in Britain by Which Magazine for the third year running. The 175 passengers taking their first flight were greeted with a uh, specially baked large volcano-shaped cake, prosecco and ice cream in the departure lounge to mark the occasion. EasyJet are expecting to fly 600 passengers a week to and from Lanzarote. And Neil Slaven, UK commercial manager at EasyJet, said that uh, we're delighted to be adding another new route to Lanzarote with the addition of uh, new affordable routes. Uh, We're uh, catering uh, for the demand from passengers in the region who wish to fly from the airport. We assure Lanzarote will be a firm favourite for those looking for a winter break. The new routes, uh, or new EasyJet routes to Lyon as well, are going to start on the 12th of December, and Paris, uh, routes to Paris starting from February the 26th next year, uh, which are also on their way. Southend, one of these airports that I haven't flown from yet. No, I haven't, me neither. Captain Alan, you, you can um, join me to that list. I've not been there either. Uh, oh. For many, many years. I was there last in a PA28, if I remember rightly. 
Oh, so a smaller aircraft than is the it? Airbus. Right. Okay, is, is that in my top trumps, by the way? <laughs> that isn't in your top trumps, no. <laughs> no, okay. no. Uh, you should just explain to the listeners yeah. what I'm referring to. Sorry, for, the, for yeah. those of you guys, get, well, we said this, this is such a thing. Uh, for those of you guys who are in the chat room uh, in uh, APG on Thursday, or remember me saying about the Trump Trump's cards <laughs> that I was going to get for Matt mm. uh, to assist him in his uh, identification of passenger aircraft. Yeah, you uh, are Matt, determined to turn me into complete Matt geek. has these said cards here, the I top do. Trump cards, yes, and uh, he's, he's trying to get the lid off there. He's, yes. um, he's good. I have put them in order for you, as in oh. Airbus, uh, Boeing, right. Embraer, and, um, and stuff, so you can see what... Uh, Wow, very exciting. Yes, go. thanks for that. I yes, know. yes. It's, uh, my colleagues at work will confirm that uh, I really don't need any help being any more geeky, I oh, think, to yeah. be fair. But, <laughs> so, uh, but land- aviation geekness just takes you up a next level of Oh, does it? Right. Oh, cool. yes. please, please don't put fire on that bonfire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Lanzarote then, uh, mm. Al, is this uh, one of the islands you've flown to? Yeah, I was there last week actually, and uh, the weather was glorious. Uh, a balmy mm. 27 degrees, oh, uh, with a light breeze, and no clouds. I can see the appeal. Yeah, uh, is it is it uh, a good uh, good airport to fly into? Um, it's it's a challenging airport in some respects because uh, someone built a big hill at one end of the runway. <laughs> so um, <laughs> if the wind's blowing in, in the wrong direction, it's quite a quite a challenging approach to get in mm. uh, as you fly down the hillside. Uh, towards the runway um, and then with regards to getting out because that hill is in the way it has quite an impact on on the payload the number of people bags and cargo that we can get on the aeroplane so yeah it's it's not without without its issues um, but yeah it's it's a nice nice airport to visit oh, uh, brilliant uh, the boss has just said bomb, uh, sorry bonfire well loaded you already are geek I'm not sure how to take that. I'm <laughs> no. slightly offended, uh, but uh, yes, it's uh, it's. You actually took some fantastic photographs, actually, didn't you? Because yeah, you, you camped yourself out at the end of the rumway for one afternoon. Yeah, I, I was I was in Lanzarote in um, in February this mm. year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, for for two weeks, mm. and um, it was uh, the, the hotel which I was staying at was probably a f- uh, five ten minute walk from the threshold to the runway. Um, so I was watching, uh, well, every day, <laughs> watching, well, yes, absolutely. watching yes. the aircraft flying in. Poor, long-suffering um, Gemma. Yes. It's, it's kind of a St. Martin type type of a thing, because you literally do stand under the uh, under the uh, the actual lights yeah, that go crazy, out into the, into the uh, sea. Absolutely. We quite often see people on segways, because there must be like a <laughs> there is, path yeah. that goes along there. Um, so it's quite entertaining for us, because we can watch people on segways and people kite surfing out in the bay. Oh, wow. yeah, that is good. Cool. Uh, you get some awesome shots. I didn't have my camera with me for that holiday my proper camera yeah. decent camera but i did get some photos from there but it is it is brilliant to watch yeah, them come in yeah i bet um yes anyway right, it's uh, moving on next story. Uh, anyway on to the next story yes this is on the independent and the headline is ryanair defend themselves over claims in-flight charity scratch cards are an utterly cynical way to make money and uh, I think we covered a story similar not that long ago didn't we and I sort mm. of vowed never to buy one ever again but anyway Ryanair has dismissed claims it mes- misled pa- passengers over its charity scratch card scheme as speculative and false Facebook user James McKelvey criticised the low uh, cost air cl- airline calling it utterly cynical writing a post which has already been shared over 16,000 times on the social networking site he explained how having done the, his own investigation into 
into the scratch cards, he discovered that only a marginal proportion of donations actually reach the charity. Scratch cards are offered to passengers on most flights. The flights cost two euros, and a portion of the proceeds are said to go to a charity selected by the airline. Passengers also enter in uh, also enter to win prizes, including a possible one million euros. Mister mm. Mister McKelvey. Uh, alleges that uh, they, this is in brackets, Ryanair, were selling these cards using the Children's Hospice Charity, CHAS, which they said benefited from their sale. On later investigation, I discovered that in 2013 they uh, they sold about 16 million euros worth of scratch cards and distributed 55,000 euros to charities, i.e. about 0.3% or less than 1% for each two euro scratch card went, went to the actual charities. In the post, Mr. McKelvey also condemned the Dublin-based airline over the chances of winning the top prize of €1 million Euros from par- uh, participating in the scratch. He claims there is, also, there is only one... Sorry, let me start there. He claims there's only uh, one card per year with the chance of winning the €1 million. Euros. But if you are lucky enough to get this card, then you are invited to choose from 125 envelopes only one of which has a cheque for €1 million. The million euro will only be won once every 125 years. You're joking. That's terrible. That is terrible. That is terrible. Responding to the claims, a spokesperson for Ryanair told The Independent, the information in this Facebook page is entirely speculative and false. The author has no basis for his uh, fanciful and inaccurate guesstimates. We don't disclose how many scratch cards are sold, as this is commercially sensitive. However, <laughs> right, uh, you, you, what, you don't, um, you don't mention it because it, it says it's commercially sensitive. Is that because you're lying about it, or uh, am I making a terrible... It would be commercially advantageous if they lined up all of the winners each year, wouldn't it? Well, oh, that yeah, is true. That would be, that would be yeah. fantastic publicity. <laughs> that would be a great way of advertising what's going on. I don't know. I've, I've never I've never brought one. I don't think I ever will buy one after no, hearing those. No, I don't think I will either. I mean, no. since the national lottery in the UK has changed, um, yeah. adding 10 more numbers or whatever, I mean, the, the chances of winning the lottery now are even less. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, it's likely. crazy, isn't it? Um, this will upset you greatly. I actually have a, a family friend who's won the UK lottery twice. What? Uh, <laughs> what not what? just like the small prizes, actually won the jackpot twice in consecutive months. And he now refuses to do it in case he's embarrassed by winning it for a third time. Okay. What a terrible, terrible, terrible problem to have to put up with. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> I, 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 you know. Oh my goodness me! Well, I, well, I, there we are. That is, that is. I think he won, if I remember rightly, something in the order of six or seven million the first time, and a me of three million the second oh, time. Oh, poor oh, boy. Poor him. Oh, yes, God. absolutely. And there was me looking forward to a. Yes, I don't know. Yes. Oh, good morning to uh, Paul Tricker, who's joined us in, ah, the, uh, in the chat room. Indeed. Right, okay, on to the next story then. On to the next story then. It is on the uh, Network Access Suspended <laughs> website. No, <laughs> it's on the Times of Oman website, this one. And uh, the headline, British Airways launches new 787-9 Dreamliner on the Muscat Abu, du- uh, Abu Dhabi. Uh, Abu Dhabi route. do, yes. Uh, the, <laughs> the Flintstones uh, again, sorry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we had to do Ron, Ron, Ron on the uh, ABG on That's Thursday. That's true, yes. <laughs> so, uh, Muscat, British Airways on Friday uh, lo- uh, celebrated the launch of its new 787-9 Dreamliner on its uh, daily uh, London Abu Dhabi Muscat service by hosting a secret island party with a star-studded lineup. Australian actress Margot Robbie... Right. Yeah, I've never heard of her. No. And fellow Hollywood star Orlando Bloom. I've heard of him. I know, we've yes, heard of Orlando yes. Bloom. <laughs> flew in for an exclusive VIP party on Zaya Nuri Island, just off the coast of Abu Dhabi. Over 200 guests, celebrities and VIPs who attended the event were also treated to a live performance by Jessie J. So, uh, to celebrate the latest addition to the British Airways fleet, which made its inaugural flight into Abu Dhabi on Thursday the 5th of November. Abu Dhabi do. Uh, the UAE and Omani <laughs> capitals become only the second and third destinations respectively serviced by a British Airways 787-9 Dreamliner, an aircraft poised to become the mainstay of the UK carrier's fleet. The uh, 787-9 features an uh, evolution of British Airways' first cabin with uh, just eight seats compared to the usual 14 uh, it usually has in its first cabin. It's 20 feet longer and 4 inches taller than its predecessor, the 787-8, with 30% larger windows and 60% uh, less engine noise uh, uh, inside the cabin and outside as well. Uh, the uh, chart star of The Voice, Jessie J, said it was her first time visiting Abu Dhabi and that she had been hugely impressed by the new aircraft. Well, I'm glad to see you're using the cards, Matt. <laughs> Flying is a huge part of my life now, she said. And uh, obviously being a pop star, she gets to fly all over the world and stuff. And uh, she said here that her new bed for her flight back to the UK is going to be uh, obviously on the, the lie flat bed on a 787-9 aircraft. I, I wonder if she's ever flown with safe jet. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. We'll have to ask Pip. Yes. Pip, Pip would be able to answer that. He would, yes. Has he ever flown Jesse J? Mm. So, um... Uh, Al, I, I'm yet to go on one of these, but hopefully, fingers crossed, I might get on one next uh, next year in February. Uh, luck, hopefully, if, uh, Virgin fly one to Vegas. But hmm. um, have you been on the Dreamliner yet, then, uh, Captain Al? I've stood on the steps of one. Does that count? Okay, that'll do. Well, it's one up on us, to be fair. Yeah. So. <laughs> I have to say that um, the the Thompson seven eight seven. I've not seen a British Airways fitted out one, but the the Thompson seven eight seven. Uh, it does look very nice inside. I've been up the steps and had a, a quick nosy because when they first got them, like uh, a lot of Av geeks, I was fairly keen to have a have a nose around it. Mm. And the uh, the Thompson guys were very accommodating. I bet. And uh, yeah, it looked very nice inside. I must be honest. Wow, that's good. I, I, I so hope to get on one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, on to the next story, and this is on the Business Traveller website. Especially for you, this story. Is it? It applies to this show. Oh, no. <laughs> the problems with I don't, I don't want to know about technology. Uh, right, so it's the businesstraveller.com, and the headline is British Airways to offer onboard Wi Fi. I wonder if it's better than what we've got here. Uh, British Airways has confirmed that it plans to offer both short haul and long haul connectivity across its fleet. IAG, the carrier's owner, has said that an investor uh, that at an investor day this week that is evaluating Wi-Fi to retrofit over for over 100 existing long-haul aircraft, while short-haul aircraft will look at into extending Imasat's air-to-ground ATG offering uh, for the over 300 aircraft. Um, in addition, it uh, is setting aggressive targets for the installation with 90% of the long-haul flight aircraft to have Wi-Fi fitted by early 2019 and the first in-service short-haul ATG aircraft planned for 2017. 
The news comes as no surprise. Be a trialled long-haul Wi-Fi on a B on a B seven four seven dash four hundred over four uh, over twelve months ago during twenty fourteen and into twenty fifteen. The aircraft was fitted with the Panasonic Global Communication Suite to provide a range of entertainment to customers. Personal electronic devices under the name of High Life Connect and operated on a range of different routes to test how the system performs and identify usage levels to and from a range of destinations. Since the Panasonic trial ended earlier this year and only BA's London City service to New York has offered onboard connectivity. As far as short-haul Wi-Fi connectivity is concerned, BA is planning Europe's first in-flight 4G broadband service. While the previous uh, June it announced it was in advanced discussions with UK satellite firm Imasat to introduce high-speed in-flight internet. Last month, uh, Willie Walsh, the chief executive of IAG and former CEO of BA, was quoted by Reuters as saying, we think the technology platforms are well established now and can facilitate our requirements, which is for global coverage. So watch this space is what I would say. Wow. It's an interesting one. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. It's an interesting one, the, the onboard mm. um, internet, because we all know how sort of patchy mobile phone reception can yeah. be with regards to uh, 3G, 4G, etc. Mm. And we're pr providing a, a ground-based uh, sort of network there. Um, there are obviously the licensing issues with regards to internet usage for all of the countries that, that you overfly on an aeroplane. Mm. And the technological aspects uh, are tricky because almost sort of every week our demand for internet bandwidth just increases. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't so long ago that we were just happy to be able to, to watch something on YouTube. Yes, yes. Now we need to be able to stream Netflix, and then yep. we wanted to stream Netflix mm. in 1080 resolution, yeah. and now the demand for sort of 4K resolution. Mm. So technology advances so fast, and for, for airlines to try and keep up with that is a, is a very difficult one, not least you know the licensing issues um, for all the countries that you fly over. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's a complex issue that some people probably don't necessarily get the, the whole picture of, you know, it, it's relatively straightforward to make a, a satellite telephone call, but to provide the sort of bandwidth mm. that four or five hundred people are going to potentially need simultaneously yeah. is, is a tricky ask. Well, absolutely. I mean, um, my background is actually in IT and, uh, you know, I, I'm completely uh, with you on that one. I can't understand how, I mean, the very fact that you can get any kind of signal, frankly, in the air at any kind of speed to stream video or anything like that. It, mm. It's just, as you say, gi given how bad, it's certainly in this region, I mean, there's only one <laughs> network here that offer, that in Bungie that is actually capable of offering you um, 3G coverage and that's one out of five networks, mm. you know, so how on earth you do it in the air? I mean, it's, uh, it's, 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 do you think there's any uh, any sort of talk at all, uh, Captain Al, of uh, Royal Jet or Royal uh, Airlines ever getting uh, uh, Wi-Fi on board? Uh, we are taking delivery of some brand new uh, 73 Maxis uh, in the next few years, and one of the 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 projects that the the uh, delivery team are taking on board mm. is the provision of uh, of internet on, on the aircraft. I mean. Historically, um, in-flight entertainment has, uh, on an aeroplane has involved a lot of weight on the equipment, mm. the infrastructure of all of the, the seatback TVs and all the cabling, etc., and the, the continuous servicing and maintenance costs has, mm. has been quite high. 
And as we move now into an era where most people have some tablet, mm. um, getting rid of all of the, the sort of onboard servers that hold all the movies on demand, mm. etc., um, I can see a big move away from that and, and basically allowing people to, to access their own stuff, whether it be Netflix or whatever. Mm. Um, the key thing there is is trying to, to match the needs of your customers with the technology that is available mm. and the cost base for that technology. We, we can have anything we want if we're prepared to pay exorbitant amount of money. Yeah. But if you as a passenger are going down to, say, Lanzarote, how much would you be prepared to pay for onboard internet? Mm. And would you be prepared to pay more for a faster speed? It's a very difficult sort of equation. We see it a lot in, in hotels with you know the variable charges for hotel Wi-Fi. Mm. So them, some of them are quite reasonable, some of them are extortionate. Yeah. And it's not often the case that the more you pay, the, the better service you get. Some of the hotel Wi-Fi, you know, sort of even just in the UK is abysmal. So yeah. we have this sort of difficulty, really. So the answer to your, to your question is, yes, we will almost certainly have uh, Wi-Fi on board. We're not taking delivery for another few years. And that those few years, uh, it allows the, the, the technology to sort of catch up, really, and to become a much more easy exercise of which box do we tick for which product. See, I wonder. I wondered, uh, sort of going going back to like before, you know, trying to pull it out literally out of the air while you're flying along. I wondered why they, they you know, to, to take all the weight and everything out, take all the screens and the cabling and the infrastructure out. Why they didn't sort of have it so that it was an app that you could download to your iPad or to your Android device that connected to an onboard system that was on um, the plane, um, where you could then stream movies and stuff straight from the server. So just keep the server side of things, and then just push all the data um, through the aether within the aeroplane, because then you don't need that much. Um, you know, that's a much much more straightforward technological operation. I've got good news for you. Oh right, uh, Royal Jet have some of their aircraft fitted with that very very system. Yeah, you, you download the app to your yeah. to your tablet or phone. Um, and this allows you to connect to the onboard Wi-Fi network. It's mm. not connected to the internet. No, it's no, purely no. A, uh, a local network. And uh, yeah, wow. uh, then we have uh, pay-per-view films yeah, and uh, entertainment on board. Uh, we've had that on some of our aircraft for a few years. I think one of the, the problems with that is when, when you mention Wi-Fi to people right, or they to assume... our customers, they immediately think of the internet. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the difficulty is, is that we, you know, we have an onboard Wi-Fi system. We have, you know, certain movies that are available to watch, and people say, "I can't get Netflix." Mm. So you then have to explain to some people who don't necessarily understand that it's just a local local network yeah. that you can't access the outside world. You no. can't get your email. So it's it's. It's a bit of a tricky one, yeah. um, but yes, that, yeah, that technology already exists, and we have it. Yeah, well, on this is, uh, well, you're the first person that's actually sort of, uh, sort of. I, 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 I didn't know that sort of thing existed. I, I knew it existed, but mm. only on the the only plane I knew it existed or existed mm. on was the uh, BA flight out of London City right. Airport yeah. to okay. uh, to New York, and presumably that's on their on their A318. Yeah, and they've got obviously an all business class aircraft. Wow, and they supply all their customers with um, mm. uh, t uh, iPads. 
and oh, there is see, a cinema right. set up there with mm. a server and they can connect and, mm. and watch films. Well, I, was, I was thinking from a, from the airline's point of view, obviously from a maintenance issue, if it's somebody else's, if you're, if you're using, the customer's using their own tablet, you haven't, as the airline, got to worry about how you maintain that, no. how you charge it, etc., etc. So, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it sort of makes sense, as you say, as, as Captain Al says, most people have got a tablet. I mean, I've, mm. you know, I've got a tablet that I always take away with me on holiday. I know you're no different. No. It's just, you know, it's... Uh, anyway, we really should move, move on, on yes they? absolutely travel <laughs> weekly then the next yeah. story and uh, an airport we fly out of frequently uh, me and Matt between oh, us uh, London Luton airport oh. also Pip flies out of here as well <laughs> uh, passenger uh, or the uh, headline Luton airport reaches 12 million passenger milestone wow uh, so passengers using Luton Airport rose by 21.5% last month to more than 1 million. The October figure took the number above 12 million passengers in 12 months for the first time in the airport's 77-year history. Wow. It marks the 19th month of uh, consecutive growth in passenger numbers for the airport. Work has started as well on a £110 million development project to increase uh, Luton's annual capacity from 12 to 18 million passengers. Chief Executive Nick Barton said reaching the milestone in our passenger numbers is a hugely significant moment and clear indication that our expansion is very timely. So uh, you said about mm. this a format about uh, the work yeah. at Luton they're it's doing. It's very much um, underway, yeah. Um, it's a lot of an airport mm. I've flown from before. They need to do a, a hell of a lot there to get that to be a... Well, I, I, I do. I, 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 it's just a bit of a, a mishmash airport. I, I, I mean, I'm going to sort of disagree with you slightly there, obviously, because uh, for the first time ever, say when we took Mum away, um, we, we went to um, uh, Menorca, and we had the uh, special assistants involved, and that completely revolutionised our experience at Luton Airport. So actually, from our point of view, it really was, um, you know, and nothing short of, 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 of stunning, the experience we had. So I'm actually quite excited to see what the... Um, what what the, the the refurbishment is like when they've actually finished? Have, have you ever flown out of there, Al? Yes, I have. Um, uh, I, I, not very often. I probably average uh, one or two flights either in or out mm. um, each year. We did a uh, a series of flights from my my home base this summer, uh, flying down to uh, from my home base, which is uh, Manchester, for people who don't know, yeah. down to Faro, and then back into Luton, and then the aeroplane with another crew would do Luton to Faro back into Manchester. It's what we call a W pattern. If you draw the the, the, the route out, it'll form a nice W. Huh. And um, yeah, so I have flown in and out. It's, a, it's an airport that basically with the advent of, uh, of low cost aviation, didn't really keep up with the growth. Right. So it, it just in my, my humble opinion, it just got sort of swamped by passenger numbers, didn't have the, the space. Yeah. The infrastructure. Uh, it's always yeah. been quite a, a small and cramped terminal, mm. and that, that always makes for a, uh, shall I sort of describe it as a difficult experience for the Indeed. passenger. Yeah. Oh, you're so uh, diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're very right. I mean, for people who have reduced mobility using... Mm. The, the extra care service, yeah. the, the special assistance, it really is, is the way to go. And it, and it can, well, you've used the word revolutionize, it, it can make the experience a lot more pleasant. And without spending too much time of it, a lot of people are a little bit sort of proud or whatever, yeah. my, my, my parents are getting on mm. a bit now, and that they see it as like, well, that, that, that's for other people, it's mm. not for me. And I, mm. you know, I say to my mum, well, you, you know, you've been poorly, you've had a stroke, mm. you know, no one's going to, to treat oh, God, you no. unpleasantly or whatever. Use the service, make, make the experience mm. easier for you. And when people 
have done it for the first time, like your experience, mm. they'll go, actually, that, that made life a lot easier. It did. Mum is the same. I mean, she's, she was very, very proud. I mean, she she wouldn't let me... She, we, we'd tell in the story, like... Um, you know, just it was just because get get on and off the plane, fine. It was just the only, the only bit that we needed help for was was to get from, um, you know, from the the actual airport because it's a, at Luton. It is a huge way from there to the departure gate. It's a really really long way, and it made such a difference just having someone with it. Well, in fact, we got you know star treatment as we were whisked out through passport control and all this kind. Of, I mean, it really, it really was. It just made the whole thing a, a, a such a wonderful experience. It really did. And, and an added bonus, uh, certainly if you're coming into back into the UK as an mm. EU citizen, uh, into some of the larger airports, uh, Manchester, Gatwick, etc., because you've got special assistance, mm. you can actually bypass some of the immigration queue yes. and go to the head of the queue. That's right. Um, which, which is a bonus. It certainly is. It certainly speeds things up. Just going to the chat room, yeah. uh, Pilot Pips put in that. Uh, <laughs> With the figures and the stuff for Luton Airport, he can quite believe that the security queue is normally around about 12 million people long at Luton. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So, moving on to Indeed. the next story. Yes, absolutely. The next story, this is on the Inquirer website, and the headline is Virgin Atlantic Ditches Google Glass for Windows 10 as its latest high-tech gimmick. Ooh, Virgin Atlantic has uh, been demonstrating its latest foray into virtual reality in conjunction with Windows 10. Virgin Atlantic IDA is a VR gizmo that will give the experience of travelling in upper class, aka first class, to the underclasses of Cameron's divided Britain, who have probably more chance of getting a ride in the bin lorry than in a dreamliner. Now, there's no need for that, is there? The universal app is scalable to any screen size, uh, including 300. 60 degree headset environments and allows users to travel from the check-in to the clubhouse lounge aboard the plane and finally wake up ready for landing. It's not clear if the heavily edited version of a nine-month-old movie that uh, underperformed at the box office squashed onto a 4x3 low resolution screen is part of the show but we understand that smell can play a part in the experience when it gets demonstrated to corporate customers as part of an immersive sales pitch. The company will also be offering Virgin Atlantic's virtual reality kits to customers so they can sit motionless guzzling red wine and uh, diazepam for their nerves in the comfort of their own homes. Uh, Ruben Arnold, SVP Marketing and Customer Experience, said, Our ongoing partnership with Microsoft brings together digital expertise and creative storytelling from Microsoft services. From their early work to, with envisaging and prototyping all the way through to delivering the experience, the passion for designing and delivering irresistible service was evident using the windows 10 platform ida ida sorry will be able to uh, will enable our sales experts to deliver strong awareness of our offering through a truly immersive responsive and unique experience at microsoft's future decoded event in london today virgin atlantic ceo craig krieger explained that the company was uh, sorry has been has always been keen to make the most of new technology. Early trials involving smartwatches were abandoned after negative customer feedback when staff broke uh, eye contact uh, 
to seemingly look at their watch. Google Glass trials were more successful, but with that project currently on hold, Microsoft has picked up the baton. It seems unlikely, however, that Microsoft's forthcoming uh, HoloLens will be, or HoloLens, I'm not quite, is it HoloLens or HoloLens? Who knows? HoloLens. Will be uh, adopted by check-in staff, partly because it it means no eye contact whatsoever. Yes, I can see how that would be a problem with the customer, but mostly because it see it means they'll all be they'll all look like rejects from a judge dread <laughs> <laughs> cosplay convention. We covered a story on these a while back with mm. these, these Google Glass things, and they, I mean they they had quite a good idea, I think. For, for I've never actually I've never actually had the opportunity to even look at one, let alone play with one. Well, apparently the software they got written for these Virgin, I think, trial D's, and right. they had the software okay. where the where the where the cabin crew could wear them, right? And um, it would tell them whilst they're walking down the aisle yes. who required a vegetarian meal or this right. and the other. So okay. they would. Like without having to look at sheets of paper and, and, and stuff, they could just say, oh, yeah, that one there. The, the bit that worries me a lot about that, though, and I, I love my technology, don't get me wrong. I don't love it this morning, but I do love my technology. Um, the issue for me is, like, can't we just talk to people? I mean, do we have to put unpointless technology Really, I mean, I get... Talking, that's so 20th century. <laughs> I mean, people don't talk anymore. <laughs> No, that's true. Yes, I know. I, I, it's, it's, <laughs> that's very true. That, that is, is a very good point. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, on how, to the how many of us sit in a, in a meal somewhere with our friends and don't pull out their mobile phone at some Actually, point? Actually, last oh. time I went out for a meal with my friends, we we did that thing where we stacked them all up. Oh, right, and okay. the first person that went for their phone, even if it bill. rang or what, had to pay the bill. Oh, cool. Um, oh, and yeah. it was actually really, it was one of the nicest evenings I've had in a long time, it has to be said. I have to remember that one. Indeed, yes. Moving on then yes. to uh, the Business Traveller site and yeah. the headline, Virgin Moves Forward, the Boeing 747-400 Heathrow Retirement. Uh, so Virgin Atlantic will operate its final uh, Boeing 747-400 aircraft out of London Heathrow on January the 12th and 13th next year. The airline had previously planned to fly its last two uh, 747 services from London Heathrow to Miami and New York JFK on February the 20th and 21st, which was modified from an original end date of April the 17th and 19th. Virgin will roster a mix of 787-9s and A330-300 aircraft on flights VS005-006 to Miami from January the 12th. And Boeing 787-9 and A340-600 jets to New York's JFK from the following day. The carrier will continue to operate the Boeing 747 out of London Gatwick. Okay, right now, um, do I need to get my tr- Trump cards out? Yeah, you've got, the, really you've got sure the seven, you have got the 747-400 okay. in the Trump right. cards. One, um, one but, uh, it should be an easy one to find that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Narrow it down. To oh, I can't get in the box again. Bag. It's all horribly wrong. This uh, is another aircraft. I'm, I, you know, I've, I've been flying for so many years now and I still haven't had the chance to fly on the uh, on the jumbo on the 747 really I know uh, it's a, I'll be, I mean I've been I've been around the blinking world a million times I've never been on a 747 do they not come to Norwich often? Uh, do you know what? I, Norwich? I, I think it, <laughs> you struggle to get a Cessna 150 in there Al <laughs> Right. So that's that's not fair. Right. Okay, sorry. No. Okay. Uh, right. I, so, th- so there we go. So th- 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 there's the uh, yeah. I found it. Happy days. Yes. Well done. <laughs> I've right. taken a three twenty one into Norwich actually to be painted. Oh, have you? Okay. Yeah. That's Yeah. Yeah. 
Do, no, are they, are they, know, have they got quite a big... Um, there's do, a big spray shop there, yeah. There really? is a big spraying uh, um, hangar at uh, Norwich. A lot of aircraft from around Europe do fly into Norwich to be resprayed. Cool. So what's the biggest aircraft that can, you, you, that can actually fly into Norwich? Then? Uh, they've had a 7.5 in there. Obviously, Thompson fly the 7.5-200 right. in there. Okay. Um, I... Don't I think they've had a three? I think they had a three hundred Airbus three hundred flying there freighter once. Mm. I I haven't seen anything bigger flying to Norwich. I don't know whether you'd know any more, Al. Um, I was just trying to think back um, if uh, the company I work for have ever taken a three hundred or a three thirty in there, and I don't think we ever have. Mm. Not that I'm aware of, anyway. Mm. No, um, no, we had enough problems with the three thirty at Luton. So right. um, okay, yes. <laughs> That may, that well, may be a no then. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, the 330, um, the turning circle to be able to do a 180 degree turn mm, yeah, um, right. of the 330 is wider than a, a standard width runway. So, I see, um, right. So it, it causes a little bit of a problem there. Standard width runway is 45 metres wide and uh, the 330 needs just under 50 metres to be able to do a 180 degree wow. turn. So. And you need to at Luton because you you access the runway from, from midpoints in the runway. So you can't... Right. Yeah, you can't, the, the, there was a, yeah. a, a very complex procedure at Luton because there are yeah. slight uh, turning circles at Luton but it uh, it required uh, a marshalled turn and a series of marker posts oh, it was a, me. a complex entity and uh, we abandoned it after a while right. it's being okay. too just, flipping just, difficult too, yeah, too complicated, too, too many balls in the air as oh, it were yes, yes, so next story especially for you Matt oh, another one. really another one, okay right the next story oh here we go, oh, no, we, we touched on wearable tech a moment ago, this is on the CNET website and the headline is wearable tech takes flight as UK airline EasyJet debuts LED and sensor-studded uniforms. Really? Wow. <laughs> That's frightening. Um, uh, wearable technology is about to take off. UK airline EasyJet is sending new uniforms down the runway that are covered in LED lights and built-in sensors. Budget flyer EasyJet, founded in 1995 by the colourful entrepreneur Sir Stelios um, I'm not even going to put it. How do we pronounce his surname? Anybody know Stelios. him? No, I know that's his first name, oh. but, but with the surname. Is it Hajinanu or something like that? Something like that, like that absolutely. Hajinanu. Everyone yeah. just knows him as Stelios. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just say Entrepreneur Stelios uh, is the UK's biggest airline by numbers of passengers carried, although I dare say Ryanair is probably rivaling them now. Uh, the airline is celebrating its 20th anniversary by trying out new cabin crew and engineer uniforms that incorporate a variety, a variety of wearable tech features. Both sets of uniforms have built-in microphones so engineers, uh, crews and pilots can talk to each other. The cabin crew uniforms are dotted with LEDs on the shoulders that show your flight number and destination in case you forgot where you were going. I don't know what to do with that information. The LEDs and illuminated hems also provide extra lighting in case of emergency. The engineers' uniforms bristles with reflective panels and LEDs in the hood, uh, intended to light up work areas uh, so workers don't have to juggle a torch and have both hands free to stick panels back on, tighten propellers or whatever it is they have to do to keep your plane in the sky. Built-in video cameras allow them to beam pictures to other engineers to help them diagnose problems. Meanwhile, air quality sensors and a barometer help engineers monitor their work environment and create a map of air quality in different cities. The technology comes from wearable tech fashion uh, mavens, uh, that's cute circuit, 
uh, previously best known for LED-studded flights of fancy worn by celebs such as Katy Perry and Nicole Scherzinger. Wearable technology has so far meant devices you wear about your person, such as smartwatches and fitness trackers. But advanced e-textile fabrics and innovations in flexible circuit boards and displays mean that uh, you, the, mean tech can be added to, to the actual clothes you wear, whether it's uh, next-generation military uniforms or high-tech sporting kit. EasyJet will start a trial of the uniforms early next year. Whether they're adopted across the fleet remains yet to be seen. Hmm. LED flight attendants hmm. is all I have to say to that story. Hmm. That's a bit interesting. Yeah, I thought that would be good to see that. Well, I see the one. I see the one with the um, with the with the um, fluorescent jacket on with yeah. the LEDs being. Yeah, I, being, I, I, that's I, really good yeah, for, and for like, marshalling aircraft. Yeah, would and, be fantastic. And the cameras in in the yeah. engineers thing, but I can't help mm. but feel that that technology is going to be used more to monitor the people that are working rather than actually <laughs> using it for you know the purpose for which they were intended. Uh, but uh, I wonder I, if there'll be an emergency checklist for a short circuiting cabin crew member. <laughs> <laughs> sparks flying everywhere. Yes, absolutely. Oh, no. I like it. Oh, dear. Anyway, our penultimate story <laughs> is on the Business Traveller site. And uh, the headline, uh, Airbus delivers uh, BA's 10th A380. So British Airways has taken delivery of its 10th Airbus A380 aircraft. The Super Jumbo, registration uh, Lima Echo Juliet, landed at London Heathrow's airport uh, at uh, 5 to 9 on Tuesday evening. The airline now has two final A380s on order with Airbus, and when they arrive next year, BA will have 12 of the aircraft in its fleet. BA now flies the A380s to Singapore, Hong Kong, Johannesburg, Miami, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. It configures the aircraft in four classes with 14 seats uh, in first on the main deck, followed by 44 club weld seats in a 242 configuration, then 199 weld traveller seats in a 343 layout. The upper deck has a further 53 club weld seats in a 232 layout, followed by 55 weld travellers plus seats, also configured in a 232, and then 104 weld traveller seats in a 242 layout. Last week, BA has confirmed it plans to offer both short-haul and long-haul connectivity across its entire fleet. Mm. There's a picture there, just, screenshot so Just there. bring that picture up, because that, that looks... I, I don't think I've... It, what what is it look? It looks weird. Hang on. That's the A three eighty. How can you say an A three? Mind well, no, you, I don't to be <laughs> to be fair, a lot of people have always look. said that the A three eighty is not the prettiest of aircraft. Certainly not from underneath. It, I mean, it's some. Um, it's like concrete blocks. We need them, but they're not pretty. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that's a way of putting it. It's. I, 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 I don't know. I'm just surprised at how many I wheels mean, there are. You've got the thousands and thousands of the wheels in, in the middle there, <laughs> and then just two little wheels on the nose cone, just I making know. sure it does. You know, the nose doesn't hit the floor. I suppose. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I went. Me and my uh, uncle, and my father, went on the test the um, test mm. flight, uh, test aircraft of these at Farnborough a few yeah. years back, and um, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 not the the most prettiest of aircraft. Oh. I mean, inside it was a bit messy because it was a test aircraft. Right. But, yes. Um, me and my wife, yes. as you know, have flown with Emirates um, mm. on their three eighty and Qantas as well. We flew with uh, Qantas on their three eighty, and um, they are. Um, I mean, honestly, Matt, they are mm. such a nice aircraft to fly I in bet. economy. Um, it, yeah, there's loads of room, loads right. more room. Yeah, oh, that's good. Anyway, is it not nice in business and first? Then it's only nice in economy. I've only flown. <laughs> I've only flown business with um, with Emirates in on the triple seven. So I can't tell you what it's like in uh, on the three eighty. But I bet get it's nice. you. I know. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, I couldn't take because I have flown business class once. Yeah, but I blagged mine free. <laughs> yeah, no, I know I did. I did. I, 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 I got I got a free upgrade, but that was because yeah. of a horrific experience I had on the way out. But I, uh, I just asked. Oh right, well yeah, no, you're you're like that. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but I, don't ask me what aircraft it was. All I can tell you it was it was Malaysian Airways, but I couldn't I couldn't Malaysian tell you Airways, which. Probably either a triple seven or. A Mm. Seven four. It could I couldn't, I couldn't tell you yeah. what the the aircraft was, but uh, it, that was that was lovely. Uh, anyway, on to the final story in this particular section. Then, and the headline is, uh, it, well, the website is marketwatch.com, and the headline is Boeing Ryanair uh, celebrate milestone three hundred and seventy fifth next generation seven three seven eight hundred delivery. Uh, this is in Seattle. Uh, November the 11th was the story uh, and it was Boeing, BA uh, and Ryanair uh, celebrated the Irish low-cost carrier's 375th direct delivery of a next generation 737-800 today. Ryanair is the largest next generation 737-800 customer in the world having ordered more than 530 of the aeroplane type. As Europe's largest airline, the reliability and customer appeal of the Boeing 737-800 aircraft has been the cornerstone of our successful growth over the last 16 years, and we are proud to take delivery of our 375th Boeing 737-800 aircraft today, said uh, Mick uh, Hickney and uh, Hickey, sorry, uh, Ryanair's chief operations officer. Our current and future Boeing, Boeing orders will um, allow us to grow our fleet of uh, to over 540 all Boeing aircraft which will see our traffic double from 91 million annual customers last year to 180 million per annum by 2024. The Dublin based aircraft is this year celebrating its 30th anniversary of operations since its first flight back in 1985. Today Ryanair is the largest all Boeing operator in Europe. Uh, a key component of Ryanair's success has been the safe, reliable and economic performance of the next generation uh, 737-800, said Todd Nelp. He's the Vice President of European Sales at Boeing Commercials, Commercial Airlines. We are honoured by Ryanair's continued confidence in our products as we celebrate this significant milestone in our shared history. Ryanair is also the launch customer of the 737 MAX 200, the newest member of the 737 MAX family, ordering 100 airplanes in 2014, a variant based on on the successful 737 MAX 8, the 737 MAX 200 can accommodate up to 200 seats, increasing revenue potential and providing customers up to 20% better fuel efficiency per seat than uh, today's most efficient single-aisle aeroplanes. Ryanair operates more than 1,600 flights per day and is projected to carry more than 105 million passengers this year, as well as 10737 MAX 200s. The carrier also has more than 150 unfilled orders for the 737-800s. I turn my microphone oh. down there. I don't know why. <laughs> no, uh, <coughs> as you said, Matt, uh, yeah. Ryanair have a huge fleet of these 737s. Mm, they, they are starting yeah. to, um, I think they're starting to um, trade back in some of their ones to yeah. IAG. I think they rent rent some of their uh, 737s yeah. off IAG. Um, but they're obviously making way for. Oh, sorry for these new. Oh, hello. I know this is my. I'm going to have to get a new lead for this. Yeah. 
is uh, they're going to try some to get some new ones in, um, obviously to replace these older older seven because some of these are quite well um, mm. well well worn well, aircraft. Yes, absolutely. Thank goodness for leather seats. I think is, oh, the, is, the, is the way to <laughs> no. describe that. Uh, but a quick wipe clean, and then they can load them again for more passengers. Perhaps we, should, <laughs> we should ask Captain Al. Actually, have have you ever flown the Rhine of Air? I have. Yes. Um, it's not. An experience that I would be <laughs> Careful, quick show. to recommend if there are alternatives, but yeah. uh, there are occasions where uh, you need to go somewhere, and it's uh, a choice of Ryanair or walk, really. So um, it's always something that I I, I wouldn't say I dread uh, no. because it obviously is a better option than walking. Yes, um, but they they have managed to make what is a reasonable experience into a fairly awful experience uh, <laughs> if you don't manage to fulfill every criteria that they set mm, no that, that, that is true i'm not going to disagree mm. with you there i mean the only reason we use them so frequently is unfortunately uh, they they use the, the where we want to go from our nearest airport which is Stansted in our case or nearest major airport i should say um it, unfortunately they're the only ones flying to the places we want to go so it's uh you know, well, yeah. you have to, you have to use them, don't you? Well, you do. Yeah, don't you? Yeah. I, I mean, well, I mean, we we go to Dublin. Uh, we uh, we go to Derry, sorry, quite a lot because that's the nearest airport to where my family lives. Although I can fly EasyJet um, to, um, I think it, I think it flies into Dublin, doesn't it? Mm. Um, but then you've got a massive drive, obviously, from or somebody's got to travel mm. a very very long way to come pick you up. But uh, I mean, they then I'm going to slightly disagree. I know I know he's the expert, but I'm going to slightly disagree with him because it's not that bad. Flying with Ryanair isn't that bad, <laughs> and it is. No, I, I think that the the biggest um, thing with Ryanair is that when everything works and you fulfilled all their criteria, yeah, it does what it says on the tin. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah definitely. But if there's uh, a weather issue or something yeah. like that, mm. um, a lot of the low cost airlines will just cancel their flights. Yeah, give you a telephone number and say, yeah. "You are call this, and, and yeah. you know we'll yeah. refund you." Mm. And, and you're in, in your particular case, in Derry, and you need to be back in, in the UK. Mm. And it's like, well, well how, how are you going to get me back? Oh, no, no, you, you can have a refund. Well, yeah. actually, I prefer to be back where I want to be. Yes, absolutely. So the refund option, that, that, you know, help. I've only paid £8, <laughs> so, you know, it's going yes. to cost me £800 yes. to get yeah. my own way back. So can you not just, you know, fulfil your part of the contract? Don't, don't forget your credit no. card charge as well. Yeah. Well, Al. yes, that's true, yeah. No, that's um, a, I mean, so I must... it's that, that element, really, that mm. it's when things start to unravel um, mm. that you can see... It's not, the it's not so much the service it's commercialism yeah it, it's not so much the, the the actual physical services it's the aftercare if something goes wrong that's the issue although you know again Ryanair are claiming that with their fantastic always getting better campaign oh, yeah. that those issues are apparently a thing of the past but uh, that remains to be tested I fear certainly by myself um. <laughs> so that is where we bring the commercial side of news uh, to a close for this mm. week uh, obviously, we have, as you all know, we have got uh, our guest Captain Al Indeed. with us on the yeah. show this week. Um, so we're gonna, uh, we're gonna, well, we're gonna sort of grill, grill him now. Yeah, right, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, get some, uh, get some in interesting uh, stories and bits and pieces from Absolutely. Al. Yeah, yeah. So, Captain Al, as we said before, welcome onto the show. Yeah. Thanks for joining <laughs> Thank us you. this morning. Um, it's very good of you to uh, to give up your time in between. Uh, 
your duties of of, uh, of captaining aircraft. <laughs> now, you're, you're more than welcome. I managed to fit you in between breakfast and flying the two most oh, important wow. things in my life. Quite so. right, absolutely. That's a man after my own heart. It has to be said. So, so how so how long have you actually been flying then? Um, I've been flying with my current employer for just coming up to let me see, fifteen years. So wow. I've been flying for just over twenty. Cool. Yeah. And and how how did the the obsession? I'm assuming it's an obsession. I mean, anyone who becomes an aeroplane pilot, you know, you have to have a real obsession yeah, and when a love it for it. Yeah. It started as a child. Uh, my dad uh, was and still is a, a private pilot. Cool. Um, so as a as a child, I you know had FX models hanging from the ceiling. Mm. Um, was in the air cadets. Um, and I originally was planning to, to go into a military career. Uh, my, my, my first love was to do what I'm doing now, which is um, commercial airline flying. Mm. Um, and I, I saw a way in through, through the military. Um, unfortunately, I had a, an injury to my knee playing rugby as a, as a teenager, and that precluded me from uh, passing the military medical exam. Mm. Um, but they tend to be quite sort of ruthless, really, because yeah. they they have a, a large pool a large pool of people to mm. choose from. Um, at the time that um, I was going through that sort of system, it wasn't a great time in uh, civil aviation. There were yeah, Air Europe had just uh, folded, so there was a, a surplus of pilots and a mm. shortage of jobs. So I went off and did other things. I went to uh, work in film and TV and. <laughs> broadcast stuff and doing computer-based special effects for feature films and that sort of stuff. Splendid. You, you need to come and sit here then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if, uh, if you're old enough to remember uh, Saturday night on ITV with the, the live boxing that they used to have. Yes, uh, very much. Various so. places hmm. around. I used to do the on-screen graphics for that. Oh, cool. Um, and then I went and did uh, computer-based special effects for feature films. Um, and I still had this this burning desire to to fly, mm. and on my time off from that, I'd pop over to the U.S. and do a bit of flying. I did my my, my training out there, mm. and I reached the point where I thought, I don't want to do the the TV and media stuff anymore. I want to go and do what I, I've always felt that mm. I wanted to do. So I just handed in my notice, went went the following day out to Florida, and uh, just carried on my my training, did my commercial flight training out there, and fell into a, a couple of jobs um, doing some banner towing in Daytona <laughs> Beach and wow. um, flying the traffic spotter aeroplane in Fort Lauderdale and to cut a very long story short ended up uh, back in the UK a few years later flying for an airline called British Regional Airlines which was a sister company to Manx Airlines uh, flying the Jetstream 41 in Cardiff. Oh, cool. <laughs> Pretty varied career yeah, really. So, yeah, to, to, to start with, yeah. yeah. Uh, in, in aviation there are Pilots tend to fall into two categories. There are those who have gone sort of through uh, the university and the, the ab initio training, or there are those who have done a, a myriad of other jobs before coming <laughs> into aviation, whether it be policemen, doctors, uh, uh, work with a, a vet, uh, all sorts of careers uh, that people have fallen into and either developed a love for flying or always had it and just didn't have the, the mechanics to get mm. into it at that time. Yeah. So the the aircraft that uh, that you fly then for Royal Airlines, yes, mm -hmm. uh, the Airbus. Uh, so you you obviously said uh, before we start the show you, you fly the Airbus A three twenty and the Airbus A three twenty one. 
Yeah. Um, and obviously they they have uh, they did have a, a couple of uh, A330s. One moment, I'm just, I'm, just, as well. I'm just looking them up oh, in me. He's in looking, the top up, he's looking up the top drums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had uh, you you had they had uh, a couple of A330s. Did you get to fly those as well? Yes, I did. I was a first officer on the the 330 for uh, just about two years in in simple terms, and that was that was a great time. It, it coincided when we had quite a comprehensive uh, route network on the 330. We also did a lot of uh, ad hoc charters, so I was lucky enough to be able to go down to Rio de Janeiro, uh, Manaus in Brazil, uh, went down to Thailand, and I spent a lot of time in the Maldives. Uh, did uh, about 26 week-long trips to the Maldives, wow. so uh, it, it was a, a fairly torrid time, really. <laughs> so come on, uh, uh, Al, your favourite out of the three uh, the products that you've flown from Airbus? Uh, my my favourite is the 330 for, for two reasons. First of all, uh, when I was flying it, it took me to some great places that I'd have mm. never ordinarily got to, to go. Uh, I mean, Manaus in the uh, in the Amazon jungle of, of Brazil, um, if you go into your, your, your high street travel agent, it's not going to be one of the places that they're going to point out to you as an obvious tourist destination. But we just had a, a fantastic time there and, and flying in the Amazon was, was great. Um, but the other side of it is the aeroplane is just a really nice aeroplane to fly. It's very stable. Uh, it's got great performance. So whenever you're in a position where like you're just sort of hand flying it in the visual circuit, like you do on your, your 150, anything that you ask it to do, it, it can do, even though it's quite a large aeroplane that has the sort of maximum takeoff weight of about 230 tonnes. So at landing, Maximum landing weight is 180 tons, so it's quite a big aeroplane to be sort of manoeuvring around the visual circuit, but it, it just handled it very well, and it was great in strong, gusty, blustery winds. Wow. Uh, it was just a, or it is just a sort of point-and-shoot aeroplane, and it's, it's just got great stability. So it's a very, very reliable aeroplane from when you're flying it, you knew what it was going to do, so uh, it's nice in that sense. You could trust it. So from having never been in an aeroplane before to actually passing your, your commercial license and things, how long did it take you? Um, well, I had to spread it out over a sort of few years, really, because uh, like a lot of people, I was, I was doing my main job. Yeah. Um, so from starting to getting the first job that I had that paid me some money. Um, <laughs> oh, I remember a, those days. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Uh, it was about three years in total. Not bad. Well, um, quite a quick turnaround, actually. For for certainly, some, I'm saying one of my friends is uh, currently doing his type rating on one of um, EasyJet's uh, aircraft, and and I mean that's been a labour of love for like nearly ten years. Bless him. I mean, it's taken him ages to sort of get to that point where he can be flying, you know, paying passengers around. Yeah, the hard thing with aviation. Um, I mean, Carlos, you'll know this. Uh, Matty Crabbe's in the chat <laughs> yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be a lot quicker and easier process were it not for the fact that money comes into it. Ah, money. And w when you're writing out <laughs> yeah. checks for relatively large amounts on a regular basis, um, yeah. it does sort of focus the mind. And yes, mm -hmm. you know, it would be much nicer to fly twice as often, three times as often. But, you know, we've all got other outgoings, yeah. bills to pay. Mm -hmm. So it is, it's very, very difficult and it's a very expensive. Commodity flying, and it is nice 
when you finally make it and you instead of writing checks you receive checks but yeah. it takes a long time to to pay off that flying debt i bet i mean that, that's the one thing that I, i've sort of been rapidly learning since i joined the show is uh, just i'm just absolutely terrifying at how much how much it costs for you to just even have the most but i mean you know i mean we, we have a laugh and a joke at carlos's expense me and me and the lovely Gemma. we have a, mm. a laugh at the you know how much it's involved for just flying your little cessna about i mean oh, yeah. it, it is just it's, well, if he's a true pilot he'll only be telling you half of the actual cost of course oh quite oh, right no, yes absolutely I, yes she hasn't asked yet to see my final <laughs> final bills yet but it, it, the trouble is that'll that come it's, yes. it's, the, it's the most expensive part of the, of the learning process now matty fab will know this yeah. is at the uh, nav stage where i'm at now right. is yeah. is probably the, the most expensive part because so, when you do a cross-country run right it goes from costing a normal 130 140 pounds for a for, for an session. hour yeah. for a session to yeah. considerably more, more than that, that right <laughs> yeah gosh so, so I mean, it, to, to put this into perspective, I fly with uh, quite a lot of uh, our cadet first officers um, who've come through the, the sort of whole training thing. So I'm flying quite regularly with sort of 22-year-old uh, cadet first officers who have over £100,000 of debt to repay <laughs> for their training costs. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. Blimey. But but the, so, once you, once, yeah. that's one of those things, isn't it? As long as you actually make it, you know, as long as you actually get there, I suppose it's it's one of those it's things. It, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you you do pay that back. It's just you've got to be really sure about yourself, haven't you, before mm. you, uh, you you launch off into it? Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's quite a big thing. I, I would I thought to go to your parents and say, you know. <laughs> Can I borrow a hundred thousand pounds? But there's no guarantee of getting a job at the end of it. Yeah, gosh, yeah, that's no, a bit that's of a big ask. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I know. I mean, Matty Fab's going. He's going through. He's mm. he's continuing his training. He's mm. he's you know he's going to get his um, commercial license and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but then Matty's a lot younger than me. Yes. Um, and uh, I I just you know looking at what I'm learning now and that then yeah. the stuff that I know that Matt's going to have to learn. Matty Fab's going to yeah, have yeah. to learn. Um, he, I'll think I'll just stick to the. Just, just a PPL, yeah. yeah just, just do your own just little joy flights yeah. here and there and stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, the uh, the Airbus A three twenty one, obviously, you you fly that on a, on a more regular basis. I'm guessing than the uh, the three twenty. Yeah, yeah. Only because we have uh, more of them, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm predominantly based at, at Manchester. Um, and we have more 321s based at Manchester than 320s, but um, they're relatively uh, similar to fly, so it's not, not a particularly big deal. Now, I uh, see. I was looking at the uh, the, the fleet that uh, that you've got, and there is, you have got quite a considerably large more amount of uh, of 321s than uh, than the 320s. Uh, configured for 214 passengers, the 321. Gosh, that's cosy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we used to have uh, 220 seats uh, a few years ago in the 321. We took uh, six seats out to uh, basically create a little bit more legroom. Mm. Uh, mm. They're all in, in uh, standard uh, class. Uh, yeah. We do have some One seats class. that have mm. extra legroom at sort of mm. exit rows and, and yeah. in the front part of the aircraft. Uh, but to try and create generally some more legroom, we took seat, six seats out. doesn't sound a lot, um, but the economics of that are quite considerable. And, and mm. it, it did create a little bit more legroom, and it was generally appreciated by the, the passengers. Did I read somewhere as well, uh, Al, that uh, Monica are, are sort of re redesigning their um, or replacing sort of the seats and stuff in, in some of the aircraft? Uh, yeah, I mean, Royal Jet, like Monarch, have continuously looking at uh, 
what we can do to uh, improve the passenger experience uh, and also uh, over the years especially when fuel costs were very high um, weight on board the aircraft mm -hmm. analyzing every kilo of weight to see what where weight savings could be made so one of the things uh, that a lot of airlines looked at was the, the weight of each seat because there are as we've just talked about on a 321 there are 214 of them mm. uh, what can be done to to make it lighter uh, using uh, new materials etc etc to reduce the weight of it so yes we're, we've gone through a, a program of uh, uh, replacing seats and trying to make them more comfortable um, make them easier to maintain because obviously they come in for a fair amount of uh, wear and tear um, most people uh, treat airline seats in the way that a lot of people treat higher cars, um, use them and abuse them. Yeah. So uh, every time we have a, a defective seat, it, it causes problems because if you have a defective seat, then it's a safety issue. Mm. Can't sit someone there. So if you had a, a full load book, then you're into the European rules about uh, denial of carriage and the compensation. Um, plus, of course, you've got to pay someone to repair it and get the spare. So reliability of seats is a, is a, a big issue. Um, so looking at modernizing seats on, a, on an ongoing basis is something that uh, is looked at all the time, really. So on, on um, uh, the, 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 do you say the A321? Yeah. Yeah. So on the A321, what sort of sort of in-flight entertainment functions? And that, is this what we were talking about earlier with? Um... Yeah, we um, historically, uh, Royal Jet used to have uh, uh, onboard uh, entertainment in the form of uh, drop-down monitors, oh, TFT and, monitors. Uh, mm. a, a film on a on a video cassette. Um, <laughs> some years ago, we 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 basically did away with that. the The cost of for the airline to to rent the film in the first instance mm. was was very high. Yeah. Um, uh, in exactly the same words, uh, High Street Cinema has to rent the film, so they have yep. to recover the cost of that. Mm. Um, we used to do that by charging for, you know, uh, headsets, etc., etc. Mm. Yeah. Um, as technology advanced, more and more people were turning up with tablets with, you know, movies already stored on mm. their tablet. So we, we dispensed with the onboard in-flight entertainment for our short and mid-haul flights some mm. years ago, uh, and then we went down. Uh, an avenue of having uh, the onboard server uh, that would connect to people's tablets via Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, we have that on some of our aircraft. On most of them, we don't have any in-flight entertainment, um, simply because an awful lot of people these days just bring their own. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a five-year-old son. Uh, I wouldn't dream of going anywhere on a train, a bus, or an aeroplane mm -hmm. without bringing along an iPad and a, a, a series of films mm -hmm. and TV programs for him to yeah. watch that he's familiar with. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people will, will do that these days. So yeah. we're fast sort of moving away from having to provide people entertainment on board. Mm -hmm. They bring it for them themselves. We've talked before on the show, and I know Captain Jeff said before quite a few times on his show, Al, about uh, interaction from the flight deck to the to the cabin when you know when when the aircraft is in flight and before the takeoff and and after landing and stuff, you know. And one of the things I noticed when we flew with uh, with EasyJet um, early this year to Malta um, from uh, from Gatwick, um, the I mean the flight crew were fantastic. They, he was you know not over 
um, talking, but you know he was given some really good information whilst uh, before we took off and whilst we were in the air as well, because uh, it was a daytime flight and obviously there's some good views when you're flying across yeah. the Med towards Malta. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he was quite he was explaining a, a hell of a lot of stuff when we, when we were in the air, which was fantastic. And also when we you know, were landed, he came on the PA and gave quite a sort of a, a nice PA at the end of the flight. Is that something uh, that, that Royal Airlines do as well? It's left to the individual um, in Royal. Um, the company like us to engage with our customers as much as possible. Obviously, we've got a job to do, uh, you know, flying the aeroplane, uh, keeping it safe, keeping it punctual, uh, making it as commercial as possible. Um, so interaction with, with the, the customers is, is very important, but only if we've attended to the sort of primary tasks, really. Um, there's no ruling per se there's there's no uh set of regulations that say that that you know thou shall you know talk to 17 passengers on <laughs> on every flight etc yeah. it's left down to the individuals pilots come in all sorts of different sort of shapes sizes etc and one of those is that some some people will be naturally able to you know stand and talk to the passengers mm-hmm. uh, I, I i fall into that category i, I try wherever possible to uh, during boarding or, or more often during disembarkation, uh, we'll, we'll stand at the forward door and say hello or goodbye mm. to people as they get off. I try where possible to make the flight deck accessible. You know, we're not mm. allowed uh, as many or all UK airlines aren't allowed to have flight deck visits in flight anymore. But when we're uh, on the ground, I try to make the flight deck as accessible as possible, especially to, to children, because as me. children, we all <laughs> used to love to go and see the pilots up front. Yeah. Um, and if time permits, because obviously the time on the ground is, is money lost for an airline, so we try to spend mm. as little time as possible on the ground. But where time permits, my, my flight deck door is, is open and I'm happy to show people around and uh, let them sit down and, you know, have face, uh, photos for their Facebook profile, etc., and let people tweet from the flight deck when it's on the ground. And, and that is what my airline considers to be sort of good customer service. It's mm. not always possible if we're running behind schedule and trying to catch up or if there are, you know, technical issues with the aeroplane or we're having logistical problems or whatever. It, it's not possible all the time, but wherever possible, we try to. And, and I enjoy it, to be honest. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing to a degree then you actually miss sort of post 9-11 days because, I mean, I, I remember... Very when... much so, very much so. Um I understand why it had to be, but mm. there was. It, I know this will sound a, a, a little bit odd, but during the cruise phase of the flight, especially on long flights, there is an element of boredom. There's not an awful lot mm. going on. So to be able to have people come up to the flight yeah. deck and chat, and yes, some of my colleagues would say that you get asked the same questions every mm. day, uh, you know, but. Certainly when we have people who have uh, an interest in aviation or future pilots or, or just av geeks, to be able to have someone, you know, mm. chat on the flight deck and, and to be able to say, well, look, you've obviously got an interest. Do you want to sit on the jump seat as we land into wherever? Mm. That was a, a great privilege. Yeah. And I remember as uh, uh, before my flying days that that 
being offered to me on, on quite a few airlines. Uh, Virgin Atlantic did it. Uh, Monarch did it. They allowed me to sit on the jump seat going into various places. Yeah, it was fantastic like for me. And I feel, to be honest, that I've been robbed of that opportunity yeah. to extend yeah. that mm-hmm. invite to others now. Yeah. As you said, I mean, we, we all understand exactly why, why it had to change, obviously, because of, you know, well, it's the same old story, isn't it? Minority spoiling it for the majority. Mm. And, of course, we're hearing these uh, these terrible atrocities going on in, 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 in Paris, Paris at yeah. the moment, obviously, yeah. that's all been hitting the news and it's it's really quite sort of sad obviously uh, from all of us here if you are out there in paris and you're listening to this our hearts go out to 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 you with the with what's going on there it's but, terrible mm. terrible what's gone in the last 24 hours so, there, yeah. yeah but uh, no, it's been I, an awful month actually yeah. hasn't it really mm, it is but in I, general but I, I i i really do miss um al you know, the because i was one of those those children yeah. Um, probably why I'm such a, so obsessed with, with yeah. flying now. Well, it's is, lit- it literally changes people's perspectives and lives, doesn't it? I mm. mean, people are, uh, you know, that that literally makes that person's life sometimes the opportunity to do something like that. I mean, mm. it's, it's it's a shame that's been. Taken I, I mean, I, I have met several pilots who have said it was that invitation to the flight deck and yeah. sitting on the jump seat that concreted that idea in my head this mm. is what i want to do yeah. um so you know it, it's part of the the advertising campaign mm. for being a professional pilot really that 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 invitation so that's why i tried to make the flight deck as accessible on the ground it just is unfortunate that it happens to coincide with quite a busy phase of the operation you know we're at our busiest typically mm. when we're on the ground because we're having to set up for the next flight we're refueling the airplane dealing with all the loading of the aeroplane, the performance for takeoff, etc., etc. But where possible, yeah, my flight deck door is open. Yeah. Oh, good, I remember that then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> you don't want that. Uh, so, so we're going to ask a couple of questions now. Um, we, we, met, we were talking about airports earlier um, and uh, ones that are more difficult, shall we say, to manoeuvre. Where, where where, where's your favourite place to fly in? What's your favourite airport to, to fly into? Um, it's an interesting one, actually. My... The airport that I used to like visiting most um, was uh, Mali International, the the main airport in uh, oh, I love the Maldives. That. Awesome airport to Is fly it? to. Yeah. Um, mainly because on the way in, we used to fly over all the northern atolls, so it's just so picturesque. Mm. Um, it is. Uh, if you want to look it up on on the internet, it is uh, an island with just a runway, a very small hotel, <laughs> and a terminal building, and cool. nothing else. That sounds lovely, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, typically it would be uh, an airport that you could spot from, you know, 200 miles away. So we would just fly visually in mm. um, and uh, there's a, a seaplane uh, water runway just to, to one side of the, the main runway there. And it was just a, a glorious place to, to fly into. Um, and typically it meant that I was uh, staying a week in the Maldives well, uh, and that's at someone else's expense, <laughs> yeah, which obviously was yeah. uh, and, and, a bonus. So, so we'll turn uh, that around the other way. Where's, where's the worst place that you've ever flown into? What's the worst airport that you've ever had to land into, uh, either for logistics or, or just not a nice experience? Um, I'm going to turn worst into to challenging. You see, they all, um, do, they all do this. They all do it's that, not yeah. fair. They're all so diplomatic. I hate it. <laughs> uh, Probably the most challenging that, that I fly into quite regularly is uh, the airport at uh, Gibraltar. Um, it's a, uh, a, a very, very uh, interesting airport. It's got mm. water at each end of the runway. Um, and there's, uh, there's uh, the rock of Gibraltar that sits right by the runway. And it's mm. one of those 
it's a relatively short runway as well. It's one of those few airports where you can quite routinely have a, a tailwind at each end of the runway. Wow. So uh, it's it's operationally quite a, a challenging place to go to. And the weather can be very, very variable. It has its own microclimate. Um, so I, I enjoy going there because it's a, it's a challenge and it, it uh, focuses your attention. Yeah, it focuses um, the mind, yes. <laughs> but... Uh, it it, uh, it can certainly bite you on the behind if you're not on your game and the weather's not very nice down Gosh. there. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. So we've got uh, a few questions then uh, from the chat room then, uh, Captain Al. We've got uh, Tony's just asked uh, about uh, the whole baggage coming back from Sharm. Um, obviously, with what's been going on over there for the last few weeks and that, it's all a bit, uh, a bit of a logistical nightmare with airlines um, cancelling flights and stuff. And I know Royal Airlines, have, have, I think they've, they've been in and out of uh, Sharm as well, I think. Yes, yeah, um, Royal's been in and out. Uh, we had quite a lot of our passengers uh, down in Sharm um, when incidents uh, took a turn for the worse. Uh, obviously, the, the UK government um, have a lot of intelligence, and the decisions that the government made uh, were intelligence-based decisions, uh, which I won't go into for obvious reasons. Mm. Um, and... The airlines were, were presented with this uh, position that uh, we could uh, uh, bring our passengers back, uh, but the UK government were prohibiting um, airlines from bringing hold luggage back. Right. So we had no choice other than to, you know, adhere to the the, mm. the government uh, advice, if you like. That would be foolish to to go down any other avenue. Mm. Um, so obviously, from a passenger's point of view. Um, Passengers fell into two camps, those who wanted to come back as soon as possible yeah. and those who were quite happy to be in Sharm. And I can understand, uh, you know, it's glorious sunshine mm. down there and uh, passengers felt safe uh, in in their hotel complex and in the, in the Sharm area um, and wanted to just carry on with their holiday and mm. accepted um, what the fate accompli was with regards to the, the whole baggage situation as a parent of a young family I can understand how inconvenient it is to to leave your baggage behind your push chair behind or indeed for people of reduced mobility to have to leave your wheelchair behind but the, these were the the problems that we were presented with um, and uh, as it so goes the the whole baggage that was left in Sharm is being flown back by uh, freighter aircraft and from what I understand, uh, the baggage, uh, pushchairs, etc., are being delivered to our passengers roughly about five days after they've arrived back in the it's UK. Not, it's not so too bad, bad, is it? Yeah. 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 One, one of the problems that, I mean, Royal, EasyJet, British Airways, this isn't something that was planned. No. So there was no, no, nothing set up in, mm. you know, in advance of this. It's just boom, there it is. Mm. And we have to just get everything into place. Yeah. Um, so whenever things happen that um, are unexpected or, or uh, unplanned, it is always difficult. It's difficult sometimes for uh, the airport handling agents, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to be able to cope with these issues. If you imagine all of the bags that were just mounting up at the airport, you know, where where are they to be stored? Mm. You know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These logistic problems are just, you know never-ending really yeah. so I, I totally understand why customers were getting frustrated in the airport mm. information's key and sometimes you don't have any information no. but people expect 
you to know what's going to happen mm. and that's always the difficult one it's the same on the airplane when they, you know there's a problem whatever to try to give people information when you don't have any information mm. it's impossible and people are you know yearning information tell me what's going to happen when are we mm. going to leave and we we had a situation in Sharm where the Egyptian authorities were um, deciding very late in the day when aircraft would be allowed to land in Sharm el-Sheikh, so aircraft would be on the approach into Sharm and the Egyptian authorities were saying, no, you can't land at Sharm. Yeah. So obviously we've already told our customers, you know, come to the airport, your yeah. flight is on He's its going, way, yeah. it will depart at. And, you know, at a thousand feet above Sharm, the aeroplane is, you know, heading off to Larnaca in Cyprus. Yeah. So. No. How, you know, mm. when you're there with, you know, thousands of other people and, you know, it's hot and you've got children, et cetera, mm. et cetera, I can understand the frustrations. And I think all of the airlines have done a remarkable job, really, faced with extreme difficulties, mm. not just my own, but, you know, EasyJet. Um, mm. It's been a, a phenomenal challenge. I bet. I bet, and and because the, the the problem is which which is what's causing the problem for everyone else as well is because the picture and the information are changing all the time. So it, mm. you know, it, stuff is just changing every almost every minute. You know, a, a different decision is made, and you as 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 the airline have got to got to react to that. I mean, it is a really difficult situation for for everyone to be in. But uh, I guess at the end of the day, you know, customer safety has to come first. And if there are concerns okay, over security, it's absolutely paramount. Mm. Um, and no passenger in the world would be happy to compromise safety. No. But equally, you know, I'm, I'm a passenger, uh, you know, frequently on, on other airlines, mm. uh, on trains or whatever. We all despise inconvenience, don't yeah. we? Mm. Absolutely. So a few more questions in the chat room then, uh, Al. We've got uh, one from Dan yeah. Hannington. And uh, Dan has asked you, uh, what aspect of being an airline pilot do you like the most? That's uh, a very easy one to answer, actually. A uh, little bit mercenary. I enjoy being paid to do my hobby. That that's is a very good, that's a well. Good there's answer. no better way of doing that. It has to be. Uh, I, I'm very lucky in the fact that I'm in a similar situation. In the fact that I actually um, wake up in the morning and I I enjoy going to work. And there there is there is nothing better than that. And that you know who'd have thought that a coach driver would ever say that? But I wake up in the morning. And I get in my on my little scooter, and I go off to the yard, and I get in get in my coach, and I love the fact that you know one day I'm in London, the next day I'm 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 just up the road, that the following day I'm in Birmingham, things like that. I mean, it's it, there's nothing better than that, is there? Really, getting paid to do something you enjoy mm. just absolutely rocks. It, it's absolutely it's absolutely that case, and I'm very fortunate. I work in an industry that that is the same for a lot of my colleagues as mm. well. It's it, it's almost a vocation um, flying. Yeah. There are some people who see it purely as a sort of a, a business side of things. Mm. Um, but in a lot of airlines, there, there are a lot of uh, people exactly like me who have a, have a passion for it. And uh, yeah, I, I'm lucky. I make no bones about it. No. Uh, I, I get to enjoy almost every day at work. There are some days that are challenging. It'll, it'll be the same for you, Matt. There are some days yeah. when you, you just wish that you hadn't got up. <laughs> yeah. But most yeah. of the days... <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, it, I, I think. I think to be fair, most of my colleagues wished that I'd stayed in bed most days. But <laughs> that's, you know, that's... So, so do I. When you come past my house at half past eight in the morning, Matt. Well, you, sh- you should be up at that time of the day. It's a reasonable time of hour. You should be quiet. That's right. He, he Carl lives very close to one of the places where we do a lot of work. Mm. Uh, so I, there, there is at least three of us going up the hill past his past house every house, single morning. Yeah. <laughs> so Dan, uh, so that thanks for that, uh, Dan, for that question. Yeah. Uh, Matty Fab has uh, asked um, any aircraft that you would like to fly before you retire. Ooh, what's what's the dream aircraft? What's the one aircraft that if if you could pick any aeroplane and you you done your type rating and all that kind of thing, which aircraft would you most love? Any to fly? aircraft, anything. anything at all, either current um, or retired or. It's uh, it's another easy question, but uh, uh, it's a relatively obvious answer. I would have loved the opportunity to have flown Concorde. Yeah. Mm. I was very, very lucky to have sat on the jump seat twice uh, oh, wow. on Concorde. Uh, and I think it, it's just uh, in, in the civilian world, it was just the, the sort of ultimate aeroplane. I, I genuinely don't think there'll be another aeroplane like it. There mm. will be other passenger transport aircraft that will go as high, as fast, etc. But when you look at an aeroplane such as Concorde just from the outside and you think that's beautiful, yeah. Yeah. there's no other word to describe it. Yeah. And, and it, it, it was just a, an amazing aeroplane. And so for an air, aircraft that's actually in the air at the moment, if there was one aircraft that you could fly that's, that's, that's out there, what would it be? Maybe not um, quite so easy to answer. <laughs> I, I think I'd like to have had a go at uh, flying the Jumbo, the 747. Um, just because it's again quite an iconic mm. uh, aeroplane, and I have quite a few friends who who currently fly it. Um, it's not because it's it's big or anything like that. It, it just it, you know it's an quite a, a nice aeroplane. Yeah. Um, I was asked earlier in the chat room about whether I have any aspiration to fly the A380, um, and no, quite frankly, it's that's mm. not something that particularly appeals to me. It, it, if I was presented to it as a fate complete are you going to go and fly the 380 yeah fine you know i'm, I'm quite happy to fly whatever uh, my employers wish me to fly uh, they keep paying <laughs> me and i'll keep flying it and you know variety is the spice of life but it's not something i aspire to i'd like to have had the opportunity to to fly the the 74 but it's not it's not something that i'm going to regret when i hand my license back when i retire that i haven't flown um but yeah, that that that's just one of those sort of aeroplanes. But no, Concorde was in its own special category. Yeah. So uh, another question for you from the chat room then, uh, from Tony S. And he's uh, he's asked how the seniority works at uh, Royal Jets. Um, it's a complex question to answer, but we have a seniority list based on your date of joining. So once you've uh, completed your training as a, a cadet first officer or as a first officer and you're released to line so you're, you're not in the training program anymore um, then you have a, a, a date of joining and that stays with you until the day that you leave the company so when it comes to say for example getting your command upgrade course they will go down the list of first officers in date of joining order. It's a, it's a published list, it's all transparent, and they will go to the most senior first officer and will then look at them on the basis of suitability with regards to competence, conscientiousness, etc., etc. Um, 
And if that person isn't suitable for whatever reason, they may not have enough experience, but that's unlikely if they're, they're top of the list. Typically in my company, it's about six years before you're considered for a command upgrade, uh, just by the, the sort of numbers and uh, so forth. Um, then they will look at the next person down the list on seniority, and, and that's how it goes. Um, not everything's done on seniority, but uh, most of the, the decisions that uh, revolve around the operational side are, are done on seniority. Wow, that's, that's, that's really cool. Right, what we're going to do, we're just going to take a very quick break, guys. So stay with us, everyone. Um, if you're in the chat room, get yeah, as many questions. Us. Keep the questions keep coming the questions in. Keep questions coming. We're, we're, and, uh, we've got uh, Al for, for a little while longer. We're just going to have a quick break. While, break, while we're doing that, we're just going to play the legend that is Pilot Pit. We're going to go to uh, a segment on plane safety. And uh, we're going to do that right now. Plane safety from the flight deck with Pilot Pit. Hi everyone, it's Pip here, recording live from the M25 where I'm currently stuck in traffic. Friday evening and do you know what, I'm just exactly opposite here, the uh, threshold, no the takeoff end of runway 27 left at Heathrow. And they've got a couple of aircraft over the top of me, which is very nice and I can look across and see all the uh, traffic approaching 27 right, which is obviously the landing runway this evening. And there's what, one, two, three, four, five aircraft I can see all uh, lined up on the approach. Uh, so not a bad place to be stuck in traffic, but uh, hey, you know the M25, it's always like this around Heathrow. And why am I stuck on the M25 this evening? Because I've actually spent a very uh, enjoyable and very interesting day down at the National Air Traffic Service, NATS, the, uh, the NATS Centre in Swanwick. This is the place that handles all of the UK air traffic control services. And well, I'm going to talk about that in an upcoming episode of Plane Safety Podcast, but it was a, a real eye-opener. I learnt a lot and had a, a great time down there. I was able to spend an hour sat in the main control room uh, watching what was going on. And honestly, I've got a, a whole new level of respect for those guys. Uh, they're doing a really fantastic job. Very interesting day out. Anyhow, I thought I'd take this opportunity to record the segment because I probably won't get to do so otherwise. By the time I get back tonight, I'll uh, be late and uh, things to do tomorrow. So, just a short segment, in fact, and I'm going to be talking about lasers and laser attacks. Uh, that's uh, not the Starship Enterprise using its lasers to shoot the Klingons, but the other laser attacks, the very real ones of people on the ground using their handheld laser pens to, to point them at aircraft. In fact, I think the guys covered a story just last week or the episode before about a chap who was arrested and jailed, I think, for pointing a laser at an aircraft over in the Bristol area. So I'll tell you how we deal with laser attacks at SafeJet Airlines. I've got our, my operations manual, our Part A, which is our main booklet. Or booklet is about a thousand pages long, so it's a pretty hefty document but uh, it details uh, all the particulars of, of how we operate and it's got a short segment on laser attacks. Now laser attacks on aircraft of course are nothing new they've been going on for years and these laser pens have been widely available for many years. Originally when they first came out they were of the red variety, the red laser pens but more recently they've been uh, replaced with the green laser pens and actually the green lasers are much more uh, dangerous and much more damaging 
because the, the human eye, the uh, I guess the retina, is much more sensitive to those green wavelengths, wavelengths of around 530 nanometers. So for an equivalent uh, laser beam output power, uh, the green one compared to the red is going to appear much brighter when you look at it because the human eye is, is much more sensitive to those wavelengths. So if you get the red and the green, an identical sort of power out, but the green is going to look much brighter and be much more damaging. And as you probably would expect, the, the areas you're most likely to get these laser attacks are over or within populated areas, so over large cities and towns is where you're most likely to encounter lasers. And it's not just aircraft they point these things out. There have been plenty of uh, reports of control towers being targeted as well. And of course while this is a very silly thing to do and people who are doing it deliberately targeting aircraft deserve everything they get if they get caught. There, there is at least one legitimate use that I can think of uh, for pointing a laser into the sky and that's if you're interested as I am very much if you're interested in astronomy and astronomers, amateur astronomers regularly use these laser po uh, pens to point uh, into the sky. Well, you know when they're showing people around the sky I want to point at a particular star these laser pens are actually very useful for uh, you know pointing things out in the night sky so they're not all evil and I'm sure maybe there are other legitimate uses as well but I suspect the majority of people pointing them up in the air are just doing so for for uh, for fun and uh, pointing them at aeroplanes but what happens for us as a pilot if we do encounter a laser attack what are the effects well generally it's a, a very sudden thing you don't see it coming of course the first you'll know about it is when you suddenly see a, a green light green laser light hopping around the cockpit and the, the biggest initial danger is that can be very distracting and distraction of course is the cause of many in an accident particularly if in a very critical stage of flight so maybe if you've just taken off or you're just landing you know you can imagine getting a bright laser in the cockpit on a short final that could be very distracting indeed and I've seen them a few times albeit not at uh, a particularly critical stage but they can they are really bright you'd be surprised uh, how bright they can be you know they're just little handheld laser pens and from a distance of a few miles uh, they're really surprisingly bright and it would certainly be possible for that uh, brightness to obscure some of your screens and instruments you know at night time when you're flying around you may well have especially on the approach you may well have the cockpit lighting and the screens brightness turned right down so a, a bright laser light could easily uh, overwhelm you and of course it will also potentially ruin your night vision night vision takes uh, some time to build up something like 30 minutes for the for the uh, you know the relevant chemicals in your eye to build up and to acquire effective night vision and it only takes just a fraction of a second of exposure to a bright light to ruin that night vision and so again it'll take you another 30 minutes or so for it to build up again to a good level which is one of the reasons why lightning flashes for instance can be so damned annoying it ruins your night vision so with you know with lightning flashes we tend to turn the cockpit's lighting right up uh, so as to cause um, you know minimum sort of flash blindness and a minimum disruption to, to night vision now even if you don't get that laser right in your eye, what's the first thing you're going to do when you see a, a bright light outside? Well the natural tendency of course is to look at it. You know, if, you're, uh, if you've ever been flying around on a plane at night and you see a bright light down on the ground, well you just naturally want to look at it. Um, you know, a moth to a flame I suppose. And of course with a laser that's the last thing you want to do. You don't want to 
take the risk of looking directly at it, but it's the natural thing to do. So you need to fight that temptation. And then if you have looked at it, then you may well have these uh, after images. You know the sort I mean when you look at a bright light, you get these after images of different colours. And you may also get a degree of short-lived flash blindness, like I described with the lightning strikes. So what do we do if we do encounter a laser attack? Well, the first thing, of course, to do would be to look away and shield the eyes as much as possible. Try not to look at it. Uh, secondly would be to inform ATC as soon as possible, particularly if you've decided to change course. If you've made a turn away from the light to get away from any potential laser attack, you need to let ATC know, of course, what's going on. If at that moment the autopilot was not engaged, well you may well want to re-engage the autopilot or at least hand control over to the other pilot if he's not been uh, subject to the laser attack. But you know, if you're suffering from a short-term flash blindness, uh, you may not be able to see adequately where you're going, so getting the autopilot back in may not be a bad idea at all. To the extent in fact that you might want to consider making a missed approach if you're on short finals or you're close to the runway, uh, you may well want to initiate the go-around and get the autopilot uh, engaged as soon as possible. Get away from the ground, get back into a safe position where you can uh, reassess and regain your night vision. And of course, as I already said, turning up the cockpit lights um, may be something you want to consider. And also avoid rubbing the eyes uh, just to reduce the risk of any further injuries, sort of corneal scratching or anything like that. And of course the other thing that you don't want to do, although I can understand it might be very tempting, is to uh, circle around and try and work out exactly where this guy who's shining the laser is, so you can get your revenge on him and report him to the police and give them a, a, an accurate position somewhere to go to, but for all sorts of reasons that's a terrible idea. But having said that, you will want to give ATC as much information as possible about location, and colour and direction of the laser and all of that so they can report it onto the, the police authorities. So you've, you've had a laser attack now and you're back on the ground, there's a few other things that you might need to do. Certainly you're going to need to fill out a form called an MOR, a mandatory occurrence report, that's uh, a required action. You fill out the form and that will be sent to the company who in turn will send it to the regulatory authority. There's also, at least at SafeJets, we have a separate laser exposure uh, questionnaire that needs to be completed. And then there's also a self-assessment form that you can complete. This can be found on the CAA website. Uh, unfortunately I haven't got a copy in front of me so I can't tell you exactly what it says. But there's a sort of a self-assessment tool that you can use to see if uh, how your vision is and if you're good to to continue or if you need to see a medical practitioner. Um, and at SafeJets, if you've used the form, this is a relatively new procedure actually at SafeJets, if you use the self-assessment and you've established that your eyesight is not damaged and it's extremely unlikely that there'll be any ill effects, well then you're good to continue. If however you answer yes to any of those questions on the CA form, I think there are probably four or five questions, then uh, immediately the, the crew is grounded for a minimum of 24 hours. So you have to call the company and declare yourself grounded, which is a huge pain in the butt for everyone concerned. You know, the company then has to replace the flight crew, reposition in flight crew, or reposition in a whole new aeroplane to recover that flight. And it's a real pain for us as well, of course. You know, we don't want to be grounded, unless it happens to be somewhere lovely like Fiji or Barbados, but it never is. You know, whenever these things happen, they're always somewhere super dull like Luxembourg. And take my word for it, 
Luxembourg is the dullest place in the entire known universe. And then following all of this, we have to then go and see a, a doctor, an optometrist or, you know, whatever an eye doctor is. And that's a real pain as well. You know, as pilots, we hate going to see a doctor unless we absolutely have to. But the bottom line is, until you've been signed off by a doctor, you're not going to be going anywhere, at least not in any piloting capacity. And that's all I've really got to say about lasers. So in conclusion, if you're flying around in your Millennium Falcon and you're getting blasted with lasers or you're on the Starship Enterprise fighting the Klingons, then lasers, great, good things. If I'm flying around in my real-life Millennium Falcon, as I like to think of it, then lasers, bad. So uh, I'm sorry about the, the audio quality. You can probably notice the background noises were continuously changing as I stop and start the recording as I move along very, very slowly in this traffic. But for now, I'm going to hand you back to the boys in the studio. So from a crawling along the M25, very pleasant evening, but rather not be stuck in traffic, it's a goodbye from me, and I'll see you on another segment soon. Bye, everyone. Oh, I feel oh. your pain there, Pip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, no. Matt knows all about the M25. I do. It's my favourite car park, actually. Yeah. But thanks for that, Pip, for that segment. Uh, don't forget, you, you Southerners can... are welcome to the M25. Oh. <laughs> don't forget, you can find uh, you can find Pip over at the Plane Safety Podcast over on iTunes and check yeah. his show out. He's just released a really good episode I listened to this week. Oh, really? All about uh, upsets uh, whilst you're flying. So that's a really good episode to download. Go on iTunes, find him on there. And uh, also, just to mention as I well... I had a dodgy curry once. That was quite an upset. <laughs> oh, no. Not on board, I hope. Oh, absolutely on board, yeah. yeah. Oh, even better. Yes, happy days. For everyone, uh, for everyone listening to the show as well, just as uh, an offshoot from, uh, from Pip there, um, don't forget as well, Pip is running the London Marathon mm. next year, 2016. Fool, fool. Yes. And uh, Pip has, uh, is, has got a uh, little tag on his uh, site. You can go on his mm. website, yeah. uh, plainsafetypodcast.com, and you can sponsor uh, Pip for his, uh, his challenge of doing the London Marathon for next year. So make your way over there, and please do yeah. donate. Uh, I'm going to be donating uh, some uh, money from me and Matt this mm. weekend yeah. uh, to, uh, to Pip. And uh, yeah, make sure you do. Uh, even if it's just a quid, you know, just yeah, uh, chuck chuck a pound his way. Yeah. And, every um, pound helps. Every pound it's helps, and he's doing it for a great uh, great charity as well. You can find all the details on Pip's website. Fantastic. So that we'll, segment, we'll, we'll put a link on the old Facebook page. Yeah, we will. Well. Yeah, yep. that yep. segment uh, that Pip just done, uh, Al, was all about lasers and stuff. Has that been an issue to you when you've been flying at all? Because obviously, it's been a massive uh, an issue for the last few years with um, laser uh, pointer issues with uh, pilots in that landing yeah i think most uh, uh airline pilots will have experienced a, a, a laser attack for want of putting it a better way at, at some point over the last few years they have become um a, a real nuisance um there's uh, an argument to, to discuss about whether they, they cause as much uh damage to the eye as, as some people uh led to believe of course it all depends on which factory the the laser was manufactured mm -hmm. at uh, you know quality control etc etc but quite clearly, uh, you know, a laser that can target something, you know, best parts of a mile away is quite a powerful one. And um, yeah, the biggest, the biggest problem with uh, uh, targeting uh, aircraft with lasers is the distraction element. You know, you, you're flying the approach, whatever, and all of a sudden there's this light that just appears from nowhere. It, it, yeah. Distraction on the flight deck is a serious safety issue. Um, and I'm pleased to say that in the uh, in the UK and in the US. 
the courts are treating it with the, the level of seriousness that, mm. that it dictates. Uh, I understand that some people um, are perhaps a little, I'll use a, a nice word, naive in not realising what they're doing with it, not thinking through, you know, all of the implications. And we're all human, of course, so we've all made, you know, mistakes along the way. Um, so I wouldn't like to see anybody be harshly punished for a, a first offence. But we're now reaching a point where there shouldn't be too many people, um, you know, in the sort of modern Western world who don't realise that this is a no-no, so don't do it, basically. Yeah, no, well, this is it. Silly thing, mm. it should uh, should be banned. But uh, we've got some more questions from the chat room. Then um, we've got one from Neil Bryden, and uh, it's, it's one of the questions that comes up quite a lot in other podcasts when uh, when they have uh, pilots as guests. And that is, uh, what's the worst in-flight emergency, if ever, you've had one? Ooh. Um, I, are you allowed to talk about it? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've. Uh, I, been in a position where I've had uh, an engine uh, failure in flight, um, which is is a well-trained, practiced, and rehearsed event. Uh, mm. It's obviously what I describe as suboptimal, but um, <laughs> it's something that is relatively straightforward to to deal with. Uh, and I've I think probably got one of the uh, rare accolades, if accolades is the right word. I've had a an engine failure on an A320, a 321. And a 330, so I've got oh. the sort of royal flush. If you well know, done, you. Yes. <laughs> that was a proud um, yeah. But they, from a, a piloting point of view, if it's just a sort of simple failure, so a, a minor mechanical problem with the engine, mm. uh, you've got another one, and it, it's a well-practiced event. Um, probably the, the things that I dislike most uh, in sort of in-flight emergency type things are uh, medical issues because that takes me outside of my my field of expertise so mm. when you have the uh, cabin manager contacting and say we have this pa passenger and they're fitting in the cabin it can oh. be a myriad of, of things and and you just don't know how it's going to end up mm. um, and if you take most pilots out of their their area that they have any control over, yeah. that's when you can sort of develop a little bit of a feeling of being uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and then, you know, as the the situation sort of uh, potentially escalates, so you get the information that the passenger is now unconscious. Mm. So you're making all the decisions to sort of divert the aeroplane, et cetera, et cetera, because passenger welfare is your, your primary consideration. Yeah. Um, we're not a flying hospital, so the sooner that we can get someone who needs medical yeah. attention into the hands of medical experts, uh, the better place we are mm. for that person. Um, then that, that is the sort of things that, that can create very quickly a very high workload mm. where the flying side of things is easy diverting to a, you know a, an airfield, that, that's fine, but yeah. trying to get the the right resources for that person. We're very lucky we have the ability to uh, uh, contact uh, a, a medical doctor mm. um, who can provide information. We have uh, drugs and equipment on board that the cabin crew are trained to use mm. uh, and on the advice of uh, a doctor that we're in contact with that they can administer certain drugs. Um, so we are able to, to provide very good uh, first aid on board mm. but of course if you've got someone who uh, requires significant medical intervention yeah. then the best place is on the ground in the hands of a hospital really ha have you ever had to actually do that have you ever actually had to divert um, yes i have um, it happens 
diverts are relatively unusual, but it's, uh, in, in my airline it certainly happens a handful of times each year. Uh, we are quite proactive, if mm. necessary, in, in diverting. We'll put the, uh, the welfare of the poorly passenger as yeah. the priority. Yeah. Because I try to think of these passengers, if it was my family, what would I want someone to do? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, we have another question uh, in the chat room then, and um, this one is Tony S. again. And this is uh, something that, that uh, Captain Jeff talks about quite a lot with Acme Airlines. And mm. um, he asked, uh, do you have to bid for trips, or do you just sort of kind of get uh, your particular... Bid for trips? What's that? Explain that. It's kind of when, um, in, in America, uh, a yeah. lot of the bigger airlines are big legacy air airlines, mm. like, such as Acme and that. And yeah. pilots kind of, um, they have to bid for a kind of sector or a trip. You know, oh, right. I want to go to Miami tomorrow, so oh, okay. I'll bid for that trip, right. if you see what I mean. So is that something you, you have to do? Uh, no, um, it, the, the setup um, varies quite considerably different uh, between different airlines. Uh, uh, Captain Jeff's setup, he fundamentally gets paid when he flies. So uh, in simple terms, uh, if he wants a week off, he can just elect not to bid for any any flights that week and um, to a degree he doesn't get paid he is contracted to do a certain number of uh, flying hours each month but he can sort of kind of pick and choose and put together um, his own sequence of flights um, there's an element of that uh, at British Airways where they publish lines of flights and you can bid to do a, uh, a line of flights for that month uh, for my own airline uh, the, the rosters come out on the the twentieth of the month, and what you get is what you get. There are yeah. there is an element of if you want to specify, say for example, uh, you Carlos and Matt were uh, having your jollies to uh, Arrecife on a particular mm. day. Uh, if you were flying from my home base, I could uh, put into the system to to request ah, to do cool. the flight that you're yeah. on. Certainly Yay. not guaranteed, <laughs> yeah. uh, but the system will look at it and it, and if it can be done uh, mm. uh, as an automated process, it will be done. But uh, I, other than uh, the ability to to go in advance and say I want mm. these particular days yeah. off to go to a wedding, yeah. what I get is is, is what, what I get. get. It's sort of very similar in the coaching world, actually. Although although my boss is very very understanding, bless her, and and uh, last week I was allowed to do the trip that went to Duxford, which was oh, nice. So that was that was an I added know. bonus. <laughs> and, he, and he sent me pictures all through. The, I did the every day. all throughout the entire Such day. Uh, the abuse I got back, you can well you could you can yeah. probably imagine. To be fair. <laughs> uh, Matty Fab has asked uh, Al if um, if you do fly GA, do you uh, fly GA for fun at all on your sort of off days? Absolutely, yeah. Um, over the last few years, I've not had uh, as much time as, uh, as I would like really to do uh, GA flying. Um, I mentioned earlier that my dad is still a, a private uh, pilot, and uh, he still still flies. Uh, up until the early part of this year, my dad and I actually uh, owned our own uh, little aeroplane. It's a, a Glass Star, which is a kit belt aeroplane that my dad built. And uh, it won't be in your top trumps, so uh, don't, oh, don't go looking for that's it. it ruined. Um, but you can have a look on the internet. And the best way of describing it is it was like a, a Cessna 152 on steroids. It flew longer, <laughs> faster, okay. uh, and uh, carried more weight. Use less fuel, 
uh, but, but very similar looking to a, to a 152. And uh, I, I took that uh, before we had my son. Uh, my wife and I went down to Spain in it. Uh, I've been to Malta in it. Oh, uh, oh you oh, touched dear. a string don't, there. Don't, don't mention that 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 place. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Uh, uh, Malta's lovely. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Good don't, man. Good no, man. <laughs> don't put petrol on the bonfire, please. Money's in the post, Al. Money in the uh, post. And yeah. uh, uh, I have Beckles in my uh, GA logbook. Do no. you? What? Really? Oh, yes. When? Yes. How long ago was that? Uh, when would I have been in Beckles? Uh, probably, well, my son's five now, so probably about six or seven years ago. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, Al, if you, if you ever do fancy coming up to Beckles again, mm. please do let me know and, um, you know, I'll yeah. sort out uh, uh, various bits yeah. and pieces to, uh, yeah, for two and late, have uh, a nice day. Certainly will do. I've, uh, to keep my uh, single-engine piston uh, rating valid on my licence, I have to do a bit of flying over the next 12 months in a little aeroplane, so um, yeah, do get I will in contact. be aiming to do that. So, cool. uh, I'll, I'll, we'll... I'll put uh, Beckles on the wish list. Absolutely. Good, Good man. Good man. So, so Al, for the benefit of everyone in the chat room and also the people who obviously download the uh, show as, as a mm, podcast, as a podcast yeah. um, just sort of go through basically your, your, your a day in the life of you, you know, from, from the sort of start to, uh, to the finish. You know, how, how does it all come together for you to, to do your job each day? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start on a, a typical day. I'm normally at home. Uh, I, I'm in a hotel room at the moment. Uh, I'm normally based at Manchester. I happen to be flying out of Leeds this weekend, so... Uh, which has worked well actually, because I don't have very good uh, internet at home. So we've got. <laughs> it's done uh, us a favour. Yes. Fifty meg broadband here in the in the hotel. Lovely. And, uh, uh, wow. that, that, that's worked to our advantage. Yeah, uh, yeah I I am required to uh, pitch up uh, in our crew room uh, an hour and fifteen minutes before departure time. So the crew will um, typically roll up a bit later than the the passengers. Uh, when I report to the crew room, we'll sign in to the computer. Uh, and uh, meet up with the first officer and the rest of the crew. Uh, the computer will spit out our uh, plug and all of the weather and NOTAMs, the notices to airmen, and uh, produce some company notices. Uh, myself and the first officer will go through and have a look to see if there are any problems with the weather or any navigation aids or runways that might be closed, airports that might be closed, um, or anything affecting that side of things. We'll, we'll then decide how much fuel we're going to take for the flight, uh, have a look at the turbulence forecast charts. Uh, the first officer will then type all of the information that the computer requires to produce a load and balance sheet. Uh, whilst I chat to the cabin crew, talk to them about how long the flight's going to be, because if we've got a tailwind, the flight will be shorter, and if we've got a headwind, we do different routes to different destinations, so the flight times can vary quite a bit, and uh, give them a, a heads up as to what sort of turbulence, if any, we can expect, and uh, I'll let them know if there are any defects within the cabin, so there might be an unserviceable oven, or um, <laughs> there might be the, the odd issue with a, a tray table that's a little bit wonky, that sort of thing. Uh, then as a crew, we'll head out to the aeroplane. Uh, we then go through crew security, which is identical to what the passengers go through. So we have the same restrictions in the UK with oh. regards to uh, liquids and gels and so forth. The only difference is that at Manchester, it's in a, in a separate area. The idea being is that um, typically the crews know what to take out of their bags and so forth. So we can get processed right. to the same 
standards but quicker basically yeah. well, and, and, and you're doing it all the time aren't you so i mean you, yes. you've got a much better idea of what security are looking for what's expected and and you know you, you the amount of i mean we, we've discussed it before haven't we the amount of times you actually stand in the queue there and and mm. there's big warnings about getting all your tablets out taking your belts off and that kind of thing and the amount of passengers who don't actually do that um at least you haven't got that that issue <laughs> yeah i've it, it's it's very difficult because um as a sideline to to what i do i, I uh, uh, run a, a business venture um, helping people with uh, with the fear of flying, and a lot of people are very intimidated by airports. They find it uh, an alien experience, and yes, all the information's there, but you know that they're, they're they're nervous or focused on on various elements, and you know we, we've all had sort of situations where you know. We've said to someone, oh, can you tell me where, you know, W.H. Smith's is if we're in a, an unfamiliar town? <laughs> and, and the person will point to W.H. Smith's that's just above your head yes. because you stood outside of it. Yeah. And you feel like an idiot yeah. because, you know, <laughs> but that, that is, that's the human mm. side of us. We are, yeah. we are fallible. So I know exactly where you're coming from, that it, it can be frustrating if mm. you stood behind someone who quite clearly hasn't got a grasp of the fact <laughs> that you have to take, you know, your, your liquids and gels out, etc. So put them in a clear plastic bag. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're all humans, and we have that degree of fallibility. Mm. So we go through at, at, at Manchester. It's quite a large airport. Go through a, a separate career, but we are subject to exactly the same criteria. Cool. Um, and then we will go to the aeroplane. Um, depending on, uh, we, we tend to split the flying. So if there are two sectors in the day. Uh, the captain will fly one sector and the first officer will fly the other sector. That's because flying is a, is a motor skill, so you need to keep practiced at it. Um, and uh, th there may be certain circumstances. There are some airports that we go to where uh, the company require only the captain to do the approach and landing, uh, Gibraltar being one, mm. um, because it's slightly more challenging. Or the weather conditions may uh, require the captain to fly that approach and landing if it's particularly foggy. Uh, then the captain will, will fly the approach landing. But we try to split the flying up where possible. So whoever's not flying, doing the pilot monitoring role, will go outside and supervise the fuel and loading and make sure that's going well. And they'll, they'll walk around the aeroplane. Um, even though an engineer has, has walked around the aeroplane and done the, the engineering mm. walk around, um, if you're going to go and fly in something, then have a good look at it. And that yeah. stands for commercial flying, GA flying, you know, at the end of the day, you're strapping yourself into this. So have a, have a good look uh, for yourself. Yeah. Um, and during this process, we'll be boarding passengers. Um, we try to board passengers around about 40 minutes before departure time so that we can be ready to go about 10 minutes before departure time. Cool. There we go. I'm going to be a commercial pilot now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got one last. We're going to get squeeze one more last question before um, before we start to, um, to to let you go anyway, because we know you've got to get to, obviously a busy flight. You've got to get to, uh, but we've got one last question then from the chat room from Matty Fab, and he's um, he's just asked uh, um, oh, how high or how high up um, do you hand fly the aircraft before switching to autopilot? It's a very good question, um, and obviously Matty Fab regularly listened uh, to uh, APG, where Jeff's talked about hand flying. My personal view on on hand flying, um, and I know that Captain Nick, uh, old dot pilot, uh, echoes this. There's a time and a place. If you're flying uh, a very busy departure out of somewhere, it's a two crew environment. So when someone's hand flying the aeroplane, the workload for the other pilot, pilot monitoring, 
is substantially higher. So you never want to put yourself in a position where if something unexpected happens, you take yourself to a, a workload level that is beyond your capability. So try to, to make it such that you've both got spare capacity for an unexpected event. So where I engage the autopilot is a function of the expected workload. It's if, if it's a very complex departure, then I'll engage the autopilot to 500 feet. If it's a, a, a relatively straightforward departure, and I think that it will be uh, straightforward for both pilots, then I'll hand fly the aeroplane up to 10,000 feet. And I apply the same strategy um, descending. So if it's a, a relatively uncomplex airport and uh, I don't foresee any uh, additional complications, then at 10,000 feet I'll take the autopilot out and hand fly it. Um, but if it's somewhere that's that's yeah. complex, then I'll leave it in until maybe a thousand feet. Cool. <laughs> there we go, Matty Fab. That's uh, good, good news for him because obviously mm. Matty's obviously going for his uh, yeah. getting going for his big boy license, so he'll uh, he'll need to know all these sorts of he things. Will. But that's something that I've always wondered as well. So. Yeah. The, the key thing is that when you get onto a two crew aeroplane, it's designed to be flown by two pilots. Obviously, right. it can be flown singularly yeah. uh, if there's a pilot incapacitation. But the workload is managed between the two of you. Right. And if you place additional workload on the other guy, you have to be aware of overloading him. Mm. Because if he gets overloaded, he's not monitoring you. And therefore, yeah. that runs the risk of you making a mistake that's undetected. Yeah. There we go. There we are. So there you are. All your we've questions got, have been answered. We've got <laughs> about oh, just under 10 minutes left. We've got uh, a small little tiny piece of feedback yeah. uh, that we uh, received yep. last night from Jenny Parkinson because mm. uh, she's been in the chat room. No, she's still in the chat room now. I think Jenny might have disappeared, disappeared for dinner yeah. in Italy because she's in Italy. Well, absolutely. But we do have a small little tiny piece of uh, feedback yeah. from Jenny and then we're going to come back with Al and uh, we're going to wrap up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, here, here is the feedback from Jenny Parkinson. Hello there, Carlos and Matt. This is Jenny in Rome. At the moment, I'm sitting about 100 yards from the Colosseum, parked in my car just before I go into the office, but I wanted to send you some feedback. Um, you'll probably hear the traffic noise in the background, I'm afraid. Last weekend, I, I wasn't in the chat room because I was travelling to London. I was taking my mum back to England after a visit here to Rome. And so we had the opportunity to see what the disability assistance was like. Mum is, is fine, she isn't disabled, but she can't walk the long distances at the airports. And so we flew out to Rome through Stansted with Ryanair and then back again to Gatwick with British Airways. And on both occasions, the, the assistance was great. It isn't, doesn't actually depend on the airline the quality of the assistance you get. All the airlines just book it through the airport and so it's the actual airport that provides the service and it was fine coming and going both the Rome airports, Ciampino and Fiumicino and Stansted and Gatwick. So that's nice, it allows older people to travel. The other thing I noticed that at Rome Fiumicino coming back this time they've got passport readers which makes the waiting time to go through passport control much shorter so that was good too. Now the thing I really wanted to tell you and this is quite good is if you manage to get a good deal on a British Airways ticket and I did get a good deal this time paying I think £50 one way round to London and £100 the other way um, 
just by accident coming back I booked on a flight that they used a, a Boeing 767-300 which is a wide-body wide plane that they used to do transatlantic crossings as well and so this seemed like great luxury I have to say and it was very pleasant so I had a look on the um, on the website and they used these Boeing 767s from London Heathrow this time they fly to Amsterdam, Athens, Frankfurt, Istanbul, Rome and Stockholm, those are the European destinations, and also to Accra and Philadelphia. Um, and so it might be worth trying to plan your trip to, to, to fly on one of these planes because they really are magnificent. Anyway, that's all my feedback and I also wanted to say to Matt that the uh, website is fantastic now. I sort of check in regularly to catch up on all the news and, and appreciated the news on Norwich Airport. Um, okay, I'm just looking out of the window of my car and there are students with red flags on the bridge over the road saying they want to... Ah, okay, big demonstration today. Righto. Okay, sorry about that little distraction there. I'll be joining in the chat room tomorrow, I hope. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Thank you for that, Jenny, as always. I've, uh, I've gone all bright red now. I know. Bless her, sending that in. <laughs> oh, well, no, it does seem that's, that's a huge aircraft to fly on such little short routes like that, mm. 767. Yeah. That's a wide body. You'd expect wow. it to be on transatlantic flights. But no, uh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's high density, moving mm. a lot of people in, mm. a, in one flight, so... Uh, yeah. Uh, where you have uh, a sort of short flight, but you need to move a lot of people in one mm. go. It's it's an ideal aeroplane. Absolutely. Well, that that is. We really are out of time now. Uh, all all I can say, Captain Al, is it has been an absolute yeah. pleasure to have you join us live today. It's been brilliant. Your input has been uh, well exemplary as expected, frankly. So thank you ever so much for giving up so much of your time. Yeah, you're more than welcome, and thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, more than I, I, yeah. I, I think. Uh, 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 Going by what's been said in the chat room, yeah. I think well we'll have to, if possible, I'll have you back on again. Yeah, more, more, yeah absolutely. I mean, uh, we've discussed the the, mm. the fact that quite often I'm I'm flying at the weekend, mm. but I, when I can fit it in, I'll, I'll be glad to do so. And and if it happens to be next month, the uh, the face first will have been gone. This is just Yay. a November thing. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, just just quickly, yeah. I did look on uh, the Monarch Airlines uh, website earlier. Why, uh, why did you go there? Because I, I went on there just to have a look, you see, because they're oh. talking about Movember and stuff. Oh, earlier, right, yeah, or yeah. Royal Airlines. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they've actually got the the, uh, the Movember symbol on there. Oh, have on, they? On their, yeah, on their, we have yeah. a, uh, Monarch have a, a good alliance with uh, Movember, so they, they've painted a moustache on uh, some oh. of their aeroplanes. Neil Bryden's put in the chat room that uh, Captain Al should be uh, a co-host on the show. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I'm more than happy to stand down, I can assure you of that. <laughs> No, but really, Al, thanks yeah, ever no, so much for giving your time. And don't forget, if you're, you're uh, if you're in the area, if you do uh, get a chance to fly down here in in uh, in the in the new year, mm. uh, you know, by all means, do yeah, do, do give us a yeah. shout. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll, uh, you certainly will. Uh, we'll give you a time, guided tour of East Anglia. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the delights of East yeah, Anglia. But don't let that put you off. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
Fantastic. Well, that that is that is where we have to bring episode. a really rather fantastic uh, episode number eighty six to a close. To get in contact with us, obviously it's the usual channels: www.plaintalkinguk.com. Email us directly on podcast at plaintalkinguk. Please do send in your audio feedback. We love getting your audio feedback, yes, and we, we will include it in the show. I promise you that. If you if you go to the time to send it to us, and uh, obviously Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Plain Talking UK. Uh, don't forget, obviously, the legend that is Pilot Pip and his fantastic show can be caught. Where can that be caught? That can be caught if you go on iTunes, search for the Plain Safety Podcast on iTunes, yeah. and go to his website, PlainSafetyPodcast.com. Uh, Absolutely. Well, that's it. Thank you ever so much to everyone who has joined us, especially the legendary Captain Al. Thank you ever so much. And uh, that is a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. We will see you all for episode number 87 next week. So for me, Carlos, it's a uh, very busy afternoon I've got now planned for this afternoon. Absolutely. Uh, But uh, thanks again to Captain Al. Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) And from Matt. Uh, Yes, it's me. It's goodbye. And uh, we'll just give the last goodbye uh, to you, Captain Al, as our guest. Uh, well, thanks very much for the invite and cheerio, toodle pip. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation related stories from news wires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks Thanks for for listening. listening find this and other great shows at the aviation media network the voices